This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 107 and this week i am very pleased to be joined by two returning guests andy and sean uh andy how you doing i'm doing great john i joined a gym today uh for the first time in a long time because mm-hmm. I, I really miss katsuya kitamura i gotta try and get that kitamura body get that back uh, over here in the u.s Ooh. uh and sean what have you been up to um, not much. Uh, just, uh, uh, I guess calming down from the excitement of, uh, getting, uh, being buried by Joe Lanza on the flagship. <laughs> that was really funny. Left. Yeah. That was really funny when he was like, he, it was like, because you said something was I, like, I, I, I said that the G1 math, that the difficulty uh, of the G1 math <laughs> is overrated. And he like freaked out and was like, you tried doing it live on the air. Uh, we're going to talk about Joe Lanza later because I have some thoughts on his <laughs> on his Naito thoughts. But in the meantime, Sean, I did want to ask you before we get to today's topic. Of course, you're our resident Ring of Honor uh, guru, I guess I could say, for, uh, certainly for like modern Ring of Honor. And I recently came out with an article that apparently caused a little bit of a stir. According to Rover on Twitter, it was making the rounds, whatever the hell that means. Um, about Ring of Honor and like their attendance decline, and I assume you read the article, Sean, right? Yes, I did. did. You, did did you take issue with any of it as a uh, someone who knows Ring of Honor very well? Um, not really. I mean, I guess when it comes to that sort of thing, you have to be, you know, as much as a fan of the of Ring of Honor or someone who's followed it for as long as I have. You know, it's you got to be open to. Uh, to take some criticism, and I think this year Ring of Honor has certainly deserved a lot of it. Um, and it's just you know something that I think needs to be continue continually brought up as you know AEW is starting up and all the you know changes are happening in the North American scene. So no, I, I didn't have any issue with it at all. I think it was uh, I think it was something that needed to be done. But uh, I guess you you did a much better job of keeping track of it than I did. So. Um, I do want to mention too for the people listening, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, it's on voicesofwrestling.com. It's my article. I believe I called it please take my take our market market share. share. 
the Ballad of Ring of Honor, which apparently people enjoyed that that title. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I just I felt like that that idea for that article really came in my head like a month ago, and when the when the seat the seat map started looking really really bad for our maybe even more than a month ago actually, but I didn't really get around to doing it until last week for some reason. Um, and I, it was really like the the Las Vegas ones that really like, you know, that was like the final push I needed, I guess, to finally write that article because, um, like, I, I'm sure you saw the seat maps there in the article. I mean, yeah, so, they sold almost no tickets for this pay per view or this. And TV that's day. and that and thing is, is that that's not a big building. Like, yeah, they they, they might can remember they don't even draw, they they can't even fit fit a thousand in there. It's usually under like nine hundred or eight hundred something like that. So. Yeah, like that was, you know, when you came to fill a building that size or are struggling to fill a building that size, that's uh that's that, that's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you said I was hard on them this year. I think I was harder on a lot of their past decisions than I was on anything else in that article, like the last few years. But I don't know. Oh yeah, I, I was just talking more generally. Yeah. But it, the article caused quite a stir on like that one Ring of Honor fan board that I think is still a moderator of, which I thought was amusing. But you know, you can't please everybody, I guess. All I know is Ring of Honor came to Portland for the first time ever, and I thought about going. I saw the card and definitely did not want to go, and I do regret <laughs> it because I think that's where the the uh, whole Bully Ray incident yes. happened. Oh so. yeah, that was Portland. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. See, you missed. But it. I mean, it's it. It's it's sad because it's like, I mean, I I for years since I've been watching wrestling and and got back into it in the last you know five years, I'd never had a chance to go and see Ring of Honor and it finally comes and I'm like, nope, <laughs> don't don't care enough to, for I that. Say, what, do you remember what the main event was? I'm just curious. No idea. <laughs> maybe Sean might know. Maybe I'll yeah. probably check. I think it was okay. a I think it was a house show, but I'll uh, it was a house show. Yeah, I'll confirm that for you. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. Just to, while Sean looks that up, it's just a very, it's a very bad situation in Ring of Honor right now. But I think the, you know, the real damage was done, as I talked about in the article a lot. I think in the past like five years, mm-hmm. where it was made very clear that like, you know, this is like a secondary brand, and really you could talk about it. They they made it very clear that they were almost like a like a third brand compared to it's like Bram one on their shows was was uh, Bullet Club. You know, which obviously later became the elite, mm-hmm. and brand two, brand two was New Japan, and then brand three is Ring of Honor. And it's like when you're the number three, like when you're the number three thing on your own television and your own shows, it's not good, and you're probably setting yourself up for some bad years ahead. I think that's yeah. almost like an underrated part of WCW's collapse. You know, as much as I think everybody loved the NWO at the time, it's like. They it put over this idea that the NWO was really cool and WCW fucking sucked, and mm-hmm. then like by the time the NWO was over, it's like, well, well, we we just learned that WCW sucks the past three years. Yep. Like, why do I, why should I care about it now? Very very. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you should do that. Basically. Yeah. By the way, uh, so I just looked it up. So the main event was a was a four was a four way match with. Uh, Matt Taven, Flip Gordon, Mark Haskins, and PCO that went, uh, it looks like it went 26 minutes. I think it was an, an elimination match, so that's probably probably why. Uh, semi-main event was uh, Jay Lethal and Jay Briscoe, which, you know, that, that's that's always good. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a cool match. The, the main event, though, <laughs> not very good. I can't really yeah. blame Andy. I like two of those guys, and I don't really need to see any of them, so. 
Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to bring that up quickly, especially since, since Sean was on here and the article got a great deal of, I guess, buzz on Twitter and stuff. But if you haven't checked it out, you can still check it out on VoicesWrestling.com. The main topic we're here to discuss is, of course, the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 29, which we've been we've been following along with on throughout this uh, this G1 on this podcast. And this year, I am not going. I actually had somebody at me on Twitter, like right after Naito got eliminated, and be like, "Are you going to cancel?" The finals again and do like another Noah retrospective episode like you did last year. <laughs> and I was like, no, I did. I I sort of thought about it. I guess last year I was. I mean, we'll talk about it more when I get to the middle part. But basically, last year I was really angry. This year I was angry for like five minutes, and then after that it was like, well, you know, this is how it is, and this is what happens to Naito and she ones now, I guess. So it's more like a resigned sadness than like a true anger, which I'm going to talk about later on when we get to the reaction and the reaction to the reaction. Yeah, I was just going to um, say that uh, I remember, I think I was watching the undercard tag on the final with LIJ, and Kevin Kelly brought up that uh, Naito's been knocked out of the, I guess he's, he, was, he was knocked out on the final night three of the last four years. Which Yes, Kenny did it to him in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um in the B block final. And then obviously last year it was uh Zach. Zach Saber Jr. Yeah. And then this year obviously Jay White. So it, it, they really like giving you that night to heartbreak and that's what they do. So I mean, I'm, I'm, he, I'm, finally getting getting beat by all the white dudes. That's true. <laughs> I mean on the on the bright side, I mean Okada makes it every year and then gets knocked down the final day. But I guess he's you know he's, yeah, he's champ a fucking champion. Year. No, yeah, yes, no, that's right. That's right. He is, he is the champion. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, let me let me go back to – back it up, though. So the point is we decided not to do that. We decided not to cancel the whole thing. And part of the reason why is because I really did love this G1. Like, you know, obviously the Naito sadness aside, I thought this was the best G1 since probably, like, 2015. I really have to think about it. Like, this one to me is really close to 20 – 2017 was also really, really good. But – you know, last year's I thought was, you know, it was really down. It was, like, basically one good block and one quite bad block. And 2017 also had, like, the one good block, one bad block thing, but it, the, the bad block wasn't nearly as bad, basically. And this year, obviously, had two very well-balanced blocks. You know, the A block had a lot of what you might well call the flashier people. And, you know, the B block was, like, very grimy in a lot in some ways but still had like a lot of really interesting people in it and i think both blocks really delivered i mean the the average star rating you know for both blocks ended up being um you know i actually had b ahead of a which i think is not that surprising if you know my taste in wrestling but i had b block at, at the average star rating all the matches in b block were 3.74 so almost three and three quarters which is obviously you know fucking great and that's like including nano even and A block, the average rating was 3.61, which is still really good. And, you know, again, includes Bad Luck Folly, who was, you know, he was Bad Luck Folly. What are you going to say about him at this point? I'm sure if you take him out, the average star rating would be a lot higher. But, like, you know, so you had two really strong blocks with, like, a lot of great matches. Um, you know, just looking at my spreadsheet here, I know, very nerd voice here. I had at least, I had 43 matches that were at least four stars, which is crazy. And I think last year I only had about 25. 
And, you know, I had one five-star match, three, four and three quarters, uh, 15, at least four and a half. So really, really, really good G1 as far as like high-end matches go. Um, as far as like, and then obviously like there was like a lot of cool character stuff too, where like you could really follow people's ups and downs and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm, Naito losing, obviously, very. I was very upset, very, very sad, but I wasn't going to let it like destroy the G1 for me after it was such a great G1. Whereas last year, I mean, last year I was more of like the fucking, first of all, the Tokyo Dome loss was very fresh in my mind. And second of all, I just didn't enjoy that G1 nearly as much. So it was much more like, okay, well, Naito lost, fuck this shit, and resulted in the, the episode wrapping it up being canceled. But there you go. That's my story on why you're even listening to this episode. Uh, what's your like big picture thoughts, Andy? Did you enjoy this G1 as well? Yeah, I actually, uh, I really did. I mean, so so you all know just because I, I talked to you both and and everybody else in the the Voice of Wrestling Slack, you know, daily that I haven't even finished the the 2018 G1. I'm still I've been on night 10 for about uh, nine months. So there, and, and that's not even since when it happened. 12 months, I guess. But um, so I haven't even finished that one yet. Uh, this one I was able to watch everything basically day of, and and I did really enjoy it. And, and similar to you, I had a pretty extraordinary amount of matches that uh, made the list, as you can say, and made the spreadsheet. Um, not quite as many four star matches, but I only rate everything uh, three and three quarters or above. And three and three quarters for me sometimes is not a real rating; it's more like uh, just a catch all of something that I would want to watch again, sort of sort of rating. So it's like better than three and a half, but whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and as I was saying before we started recording, uh, also similar thoughts. I think uh, B Block had the, I, I didn't break down every single match, but B Block had the, the highest highs for me. Uh, but there, there was a lot of really high quality uh, A Block stuff, really between Abushi, Tanahashi, uh, Kenta, and Okada. I mean, they really, uh, kind of killed it. Well, I guess an evil too. So uh, it was just a uh, yeah, really, really good tournament. I think, um, and I was kind of not expecting it to be in a way. Sean, what what are you like your macro thoughts for getting to the shows here? Um, so yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty fantastic tournament uh, as far as like matches go. I probably have the same amount as same amount of uh, like matches over four as you do, if not more, um, and just going through you know my own sort of my own star ratings and sort of the averages that I calculated on my spreadsheet um, both uh, this year's a block and B block ended up being the highest um, like average star rating for all the G ones that I have sort of uh, been keeping track of myself since I started uh, watching in 2013 um, the you know I had the highest B block and then the a block itself this year was the highest block I've had um, ever with an average of about uh 3.88 which which is like really close to four and then b block is like 3.79 so like not that far behind um no i just thought you know the, the quality was mostly excellent and we only had really uh, there was only really one sort of dud in each block with folly and yano but you know other than that you know even the lower end people were at least um or at least good like just uh I'm, I'm sure this might disappoint you a little bit john but out of the 20 people i have in the tournament uh tight i had tai chi as 18th but his still is like his average star rating was still for me like 3.44 which is you know it's right below 3.5 and that's not you know it's not really that's not bad at all 
it just speaks more to the overall quality of the tournament that like the 18th person is averaging three and a half stars, at least for me. Yeah. Um, what did you think, I guess, of, um, you know, like as far as like who's had a good tournament and bad tournament, was there anybody for either one of you that had a good tournament, but also a disappointing tournament? Because for me, that was Zach Sabre Jr. Because I really just thought after last year, especially, I just, it's not that he had a bad tournament. I just thought he'd have a better one than mm-hmm. he did. Yeah, I, uh, it's actually a really good one. Uh, both him and Sonata for me. Uh, I, I'm, I am a Sonata. I, I do like him. I'm on that that side of the Sonata divide. Uh, but both of them were on the lower number of matches that that I considered to be uh, great. And both of them uh, within those those great matches had lower were on the lower end of those averages. So like each of them had one really good to great match for me, and then a couple that were. Uh, Good, good to great. So, uh, those are those are kind of my two that were good, weren't terrible, but definitely they both had better tournaments, both G one and New Japan Cup type things. What did you think, Sean? Anybody that was, even though they were good, maybe a little bit disappointing? Um, well, I think it's interesting. So, the, I think there are a couple of people who I who I I noticed at least at least from my point of view, had either perceptions of having either good or bad tournaments, but then when I look at my numbers, they sort of maybe reflected something a little bit different. Um, like, for example, Zack Sabre Jr., I think generally, like Andy sort of alluded to, I think you alluded to as well, he had the perception of having not as good of a tournament. Um, but when I did my you know personal, uh, just before this podcast recording, I did my own you know, personal averages and checked everything. And Saber ended up finishing in my top 10, surprisingly. He finished mm. ninth. Um, oh, wow. So it was sort of a surprise to me. It's like, oh, well, I, I didn't think Saber had that good of a tournament, but, you know, uh, the numbers the numbers in my spreadsheet don't lie, and <laughs> it ended up coming to that number. So, um, and I, I, I guess another person who I think people consider having a disappointing tournament is Jeff Cobb, um, which is interesting. And on my list, he sort of does rank in the bottom five. I have him at, I think, like 17th. But still, sort of like Taichi, you know, he's he's ranked towards the bottom for me, yet his, like, average star rating is actually, you know, relatively good. I have Cobb at a 3.61, which, again, that's, you know, for the... It just speaks to how good the quality was in this tournament, that, you know, somebody averaging over three and a half stars is sort of, like, near the bottom. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's. I had, I had sorry, I had one one more that just to bring that up because Jeff Cobb reminded me. Sorry, uh, was was Juice for me? I thought this was going to be a big uh, breakout for Juice, and Juice was good the whole tournament, but was rarely great for me. Um, yeah, I and I expect I expected him to like really kind of be you know runner up or, or like third kind of in the B block, and uh, not even just results wise, but even match quality wise, he did have some super high highs, um, but but overall kind of disappointing. So. Yeah, he was stuck in that mushy middle for yeah. me and like ended up sort of the bottom of the middle. Yeah, a like lot of like three and a quarter to three yeah. and a half, you know, star matches or three three star matches, yeah. Yeah, I, ha- I have basically like six guys like all stuck together, like very close together on my rankings and like he's one of them, but like mm-hmm. just he happened to be the bottom of it. So his, his ranking almost looks worse than it felt to me. Sure. I guess we'll get into that when we talk about it. Um, okay, so let's break down the last last few shows here before we talk any more macro stuff. First of all, the Hamamatsu Arena show 
on Wednesday, August 2nd, August 7th, I should say. Uh, that was this past week. Um, this show was the second to last A Block show. It opened up with, well, as far as the two matches go, Sonata beating Lance Archer and 1028 with the O'Connor roll. Uh, that moved Sonata four and four and dropped Archer to two and six. Um, this was I, a good opener. It was like one of these matches where it's going to be hard for me to find much to say about it. And, you know, in a podcast a week later, it was just like a good 10 minute match that just kind of flew by. I like Sonata winning with the roll up. It's, you know, I, I like people winning with roll ups in general. And I just thought it worked really well here as far as the finish goes. It made like Lance look like a big rampaging monster and Sonata looked like he just outsmarted him. But, you know, I went three and a half on it. It was a good match, just nothing. I'm ever probably ever going to think of again. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's, exa- that's basically exactly my notes. Uh, that's kind of Lance's, I, I think Lance for a lot of people had a really surprisingly excellent tournament or, or for so- those of people who've been seeing his phrase for a while, knew he was going to have one, uh, but nothing ever that was like super high, but again, similar, all his matches were pretty much, you know, pretty good. And this is another person who is often pretty good. And that's just kind of what this one was. Yeah, I had the uh, same rating as John. 3.5, pretty good for the time that I got. And then, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Not much else to say about it. Uh, Fale and Tanahashi. Fale won a 9.58 with a backslide. That That's really the result, folks, a backslide. Uh, Andy, as the foremost <laughs> Fale defender in the Western yeah. world, what yeah. do you think of this fucking flash pain gimmick? I think it's really funny. It is like, funny. I, I really enjoy <laughs> yeah. it. I, I enjoy it from a comedy perspective. Um, it almost to me says, you know, it's like the biggest signal yet to me that he's done completely as like a serious contender because he would be beating these people with like the bad luck fall if he wasn't, you know, if, if they're still going to put him that in that way. But yeah, I just, it was funny. And I actually think it was one of his better matches. I went two and three quarters. Uh, I saw some people really hated this, but I yeah. thought it was like, I thought it was fine. No, I'm, um, I'm in, I'm in the okay. inoffensive camp. Yeah. But, um, as as the the folly defender, and and some of that is tongue in cheek, which everyone knows. But I, but I do generally enjoy him more than than the average. I I've never hated him. I don't hate his shenanigans. I think there's a a place for that even in New Japan. Uh, but I I would be lying if I would if if I would admit that he hasn't regressed uh, in the last couple of years. That that said, he's had a couple of uh, to me excellent matches this year, uh, or at least one. Um, yeah, the Okada one. The Okada say, match was the, great. Yeah, I was gonna say, what's the other one? <laughs> I can't remember. I looked at my 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 uh, whole year list, and he had three matches on there, but I can't remember what the other one is. Um, but but yeah, this was nothing to me. I mean, at this point, the match didn't matter. They're both both basically out of the tournament. It's just kind of comedy at this point. Um, I can't remember. I have to. I'd have to look back. Who who are the four people that Folly beat? He beat Okada. Oh, no, he didn't beat Okada. He beat Evil Tanahashi, Evil Sonata. And one other person. Okay. Uh, who the fuck else did he beat? It's a good question. Uh, he beat Kenta. Oh Kenta. yeah. Okay. That's who I was thinking. Adokata. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a couple of couple of big names there. Uh, nothing that's that's too big, but you know, I, I, those results also don't mean that we're going to get him in a big singles pay per view, our our big event match, I guess, uh, in the fall. So for those of you who do hate him, that's probably a good thing. They were probably they were like very cautious to not put him over any champions. Basically. Yeah, he's <laughs> like not even the junior champion he couldn't beat. So I guess if he wanted to slim down, he couldn't get that challenge. Yeah, I I, I went the same rating as John on this. I did think it was one of Fale's you know better matches at the tournament, though obviously that's not that's not saying much. Yeah, 
Then we got Will Ospreay and Kenta, which is an interesting one to me. Uh, Ospreay won this. In 1633, the Stormbreaker uh, moved him to three and five and dropped Kenta to four and four. Um, this one got hotly debated on Twitter at the time, with people either loving or hating it. And you know, I I thought this was I was in the camp of loving it. I thought this was better than a lot of the more hyped Osprey matches. Um, you know, I totally understand the flaws. Obviously, Kenta slipped on that fucking springboard. Uh, there was like another very obvious botch too, but they recovered from the botches really well. I thought. Um, and, you know, it was a very stiff match, which is always going to get points for me. Um, you know, there was like a really stiff striking and Kenta did this like at one point, like, uh, or Osprey took like the swingy DDT, like with his neck hitting the top rope, it just looked brutal. Um, and then like, I don't know, like it had these big, flaws. it's one of these matches to me that had these like really big flaws, but was still really, really great. And to me, that's what four and a quarter was invented for it. So that's what I went with there. Um, I thought it was really great, and I think you know, as far I would like, I don't know if Kent is ever going to go for the junior title, I kind of doubt he is, but I would m- not mind seeing them fight again. So, yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this as well. I also went four and a quarter on it. Uh, I thought they showed some some really great intensity throughout the match, and there were some really cool moments in the match, like the uh. The uh, Falconer on the apron, which I think I think that's the first time I've ever seen a Falconer go on the apron before. Um, no, no, it's just a really great match. Uh, if the botches hadn't happened, I probably would have gotten a little higher. But you know, it's, it doesn't mean it wasn't still a great match. Yeah, I, I also I also really liked it. I'm lower than you both, uh, but you know, it's actually kind of interesting as the divide that it did cause. And and I'm actually of the frame of mind with it. I very much agree with Joe about the these are not botches necessarily like they, they kenta recovered very professionally and to me in this this ask this this kind of match where you have two very different styles uh, it actually kind of adds something to it to me it adds to the realism uh because he is slower than will osprey and to me and john i think you could probably s- sympathize with this a little bit uh some of osprey's offense or a lot of it and uh the choreographed nature of it is total bullshit so people should be stumbling over their feet (laughs) here and there uh and uh that all said taking those things away here and there uh this was one of the most fierce uh, offensive matches that kenta had i mean you have someone who takes insane bumps and and kenta made sure to make them bump hard and uh yeah it was really good Uh, i went three and three quarters i could definitely go make it a four-star match but that's what it is right now so uh, really enjoyed it on the whole. And I, I love seeing Will Ospreay getting his ass kicked. So that's good. <laughs> the semifinal, Kota Ibushi defeating Zack Sabre Jr. in 1546 with the Kamigoe. Um, that brought Ibushi up to six and three. It dropped Zack, I believe, to three and five. Um, so this was really good, but just to me, like several steps below the G1 match last year, which was like probably either my third or fourth favorite match of the entire G1. I went four and three quarters on that match. This one to me was not even in the same league as that one. Um, yeah. When four stars flat on this one, I mean, it was still really good, but just, you know, when you set like such a high bar and it, I thought their match at, uh, what's it called? The, the new show, uh, Sengoku Lord earlier this yeah. year. I thought that was be- a lot better than this one too. Or this one, you know, it just felt like, you know, Coda had a big weekend, <laughs> you know, to come. So it did feel like he wasn't quite going completely full throttle and it ended up being more of a Zack style match, which is still good, and I still really liked it, but just not quite as good as their match last year. Uh, what do you think of it, Andy? 
Yeah, uh, I, to me, these two kind of have diminishing returns at this point. Uh, when they were both in like the uh, cruiserweight classic and everything, and the whole prospect of them facing off and 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 everything that could come, uh, you know, that was kind of dream match territory at that point. You know, if you go back two or three years ago, these are my two favorite wrestlers in the world, and, and still to this day, they're two that I really like. But uh, I feel like uh, I don't want to say every match is less and less, but it sort of feels like. They got to they got to try something new. Um, I did really like this match, but I think it's because they're two very skilled people who've wrestled each other quite a few times. And uh, yeah, it was it was good. No, it wasn't wasn't the best. It was actually my second favorite Zack Sabre Jr. match of the tournament. But as I said, he kind of had a, a disappointing tournament. Sean, um, I think I liked it a little more than you, John. I went four and a quarter on it, though I would agree it was definitely below uh, their match from last year's G One. Um, you know, these guys have been facing a lot, though, that being said, that they they're still fully capable of having, you know, great matches, even like their, their worst matches are still, you know, really good. So, yeah. Uh, the main event, Kazuchika Okada defeating evil in exactly 27 minutes with the Rainmaker. It made him seven and one and dropped evil to four and four. This I thought was another awesome match. Um, they pretty much these matches, Evil and Okada, they, they're really well known for having really great closing stretches. But I thought this was like their best closing stretch ever, as yep. far as these matches go. The only reason why I don't have it as like a slightly higher than do I went four and a quarter is because I did think the opening like ten minutes was a little too dull, and that you know Okada I think gets over critiques for that, and I think sometimes people say that even when it's not really true, like with that Okada Sonata match in the G1. But in this case, I think it kind of was really true. So, um, you know, I get that part of it, but after that it really picked up and the entire closing stretch was like, you know, there's like this headbutt counter of the spinning rainmaker from evil. That's just like maybe the best counter of the year. So really, really great match. Um, Like I said, four and a quarter for me again, and another big step here for evil who, you know, this this G1 was a big recovery for him from last year after he, I thought he was pretty weak in last year's G1. But he was also in the bad block, so, <laughs> you know. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, awesome. Uh, I Definitely, I think, uh, lesser than the, the Sonata match. Uh, I think Okada and Sonata have really kind of worked out a formula that's that's really great. Um, and, and I agree that, that, that the critiques of the early parts of that Sonata match were uh, kind of BS, and, and I thought it was actually really well worked. But I do think, uh, similar to what you said, uh, the beginning of the Evil match was was a bit slow. I, I tend to like matches like that, and, and that kind of build to these big crescendos. Uh, this one just didn't quite hit the same high. Still four stars for me. Um, and I do think this tournament really uh, cemented it for me, that Evil, I think, is like maybe like a top five like closing stretch wrestler. Um, he I mean, he really does excel in like that last five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people get on, we'll talk about Jay White here, a lot of people get on Jay White as being super counter heavy and kind of corny, and Evil wrestles similarly in the closing stretches, but better. Um, and yeah, he's, just, he's really one of the best closers, uh, even when he loses. So oh, that was an awesome match. Sean? Yeah, I, I thought this was a, uh, a fantastic main event, actually. Um, I went four and a half, and it was actually my second favorite evil match of the entire tournament. Nice. Um, oddly enough, I know people have, you know, uh, the main critique has been that opening, you know, 10 minutes. I actually had no problem with that part of the match, and that's probably why I'm a little higher than most on it. But uh, obviously that, that closing stretch was just pretty amazing 
and th- those two would just work really well together at that aspect of the match. And uh, yeah, that that last part was what really took it up for me. It makes sense that you'd like that, Sean. You got the uh, 35 minute Jay Lethal matches for the last five years, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Better job than Jay Lethal, <laughs> even, though, even though I do like Jay Lethal. I'm just kidding. It was good. Yeah, yeah. It was it was not as offensive as people wanted to make it out to be the the opening, but but definitely a little slower than the Sonata one for me. Uh, okay, so overall, very good show as far as you getting a you know a bunch of four star matches in a row. So end up with like a 3.75 average for me on the entire show, which I'm going to give my ranking later of the, all the, the nights, which sometimes I feel like the average, doing it by average rating, like really underrated and really overrated certain shows, but I guess we'll get into that when we get to it. Uh, after that, night 16, which is from Yokohama, the second to last B-Block night on Thursday, August 8th. Uh, it opened up with... Toriano defeating Taichi in 504 by countout. Uh, he moved to 4 and 4 and dropped Taichi to 3 and 5. I thought this match was fucking hilarious. Um, yeah. I mean, just probably my second favorite Yano match of the entire tournament after the Ishii one. Uh, I went, I, I gave this three and three quarters because I'm like, that's like the highest I can give a five minute comedy match in my mind, but I thought it was like so fucking funny. So. I love the ending of like just the ending of Taichi, like after he tried to wrap Yano up in the in the uh, the ring, I don't know what you would call it, the banner, I guess. And then also, and then instead, he Yano wraps him and Kanemaru together, and that's how he wins. Just fucking perfect. I, the only complaint I have with this is I wish it was like 20 minutes longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, I mean, not on the, the sheet or anything, but but perfect. And, and uh, I think Yano, uh, both last year and this year, was, uh, for me, I know. I know you had uh, your last guest. Uh, Hannah was, is a big Yano fan. A Yano fan. Um, I'm not quite going to be the high as high on star ratings, but um, whereas I'm okay finally having Bad Luck Folly leave to the G1, I want Yano in the G1 until uh, he can't move like Nakanishi or something. Oh, I think oh, he's yeah. perfect. You know, he's 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 perfect for it. So I totally agree. Um, what do you think of this one, Sean? Yeah, this was a this is a lot of fun. Actually, <laughs> you know, I didn't even know about i guess i guess he they sort of teased the burrito thing on the tag from the night before which you know obviously i didn't watch their tag uh, <laughs> so i had no idea it was coming and when i did when i saw it i was like oh that's that's actually pretty hilarious um i i do agree with what i think andy said you know yano is someone who could probably wrestle in the g1 for another 20 years and still be <laughs> as good as he is now in terms of you know good in his role um and yeah, and just in my mind, there there are good matches, there are bad matches, and then there are Yano matches. <laughs> they're, they're, they're their own separate thing. Yeah. After that, we had Tetsuya Naito defeating Jeff Cobb in 1247 with the Destino. Uh, Naito moved to 5-3, and three and Cobb fell to 3-5. and five. This, I, I have a feeling I'm going to be the high person on this one, but I thought it was fucking awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was like Cobb's second best match of the tournament after the Ishii match. I think it, it was as far as like it, it was good at the start, but then it really found a second gear after Naito hit this top rope Rana. And considering it wasn't that long, you know, to begin with, it, it didn't take that long to get that second gear. Um, and there was like this crazy sequence where Cobb like caught Naito on a swinging DDT, but then Naito turned that the suplex he tried into like a high angle DDT, and then Cobb caught Naito on like a running Destino and just like 
fucking sent him into orbit. That was the best. That that gift no, that been going around, and yeah, that's that's a great one. It was like Kevin Kelly called an elevator <laughs> five, and it was I, I, I called. I just like he fucking tossed him, and then there was the tour the Destino, which is like again an amazing spot where Cobb like goes for tour of the islands, and Naito turns it into the Destino in midair. Um, so yeah, I went four and a quarter. I thought it was fucking awesome. And this is one of these matches where I'm just like, some people didn't think this was that great. And I'm like, well, what were you even watching? But Yeah, Sean, why don't you go? <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I really liked it a lot as well. Uh, don't really understand why people dislike this match. I went four flat on it. And I think that, you know, that particularly that closing stretch, that second half of the match is what, you know, really put it over the top for me. And I, for me, I guess would say was probably Cobb's in, in his top matches for sure. Um, yeah, uh, didn't make uh, it. It was good for sure. I'm not as high as both of you. Um, definitely didn't think it was bad. I really wanted it to to uh, get on the list, and and I really thought the pairing was good. And I think these two could probably wrestle again on on you know some random show and and produce something that's uh, even better. Uh, but it was kind of the perfect length. Um, yeah, just missed the list. Uh, Nido bumped like a madman, and and yeah, really brought something out of Cobb. So, uh, I, you know, around three and a half for me. Didn't quite quite make the cut, but uh, definitely definitely good. And, and don't begrudge you both having it in, in the four star, four and a quarter star range. I think uh, people who had, I saw some that were like two and three quarters or two and a half stars for it, and that seems uh seems a little crazy to me because <laughs> it was definitely one of the high high points of the night. Then we had Hiroki Goto defeating John Moxley in 838 with the GTR. Uh, Goto goes to 5 and 3 and drops Moxley to 5 and 3. This is what I get. I really like this probably even better than the consensus. Um, you know, Goto was a guy who like was very up and down for me in this tournament. He had like a he had a long run where I just felt like he was doing nothing. But here he was awesome. And you know, obviously John Moxley. I mean, I think I've I praised him enough on this podcast in the last month, probably. I mean, he's just he's I had no idea he had this in him. I had no idea he was going to come to Japan and just fucking go balls out with like basically the, the Puro Slugfest style, which is what he did, you know, in this match again. And, you know, for people who thought at first it was like, oh, John's only going to be tables and, you know, chairs or whatever. He just came in here and, you know, hit Goto in the face. And that was it. And, you know, they didn't do any weapons, didn't do any, anything really. Um, I love the choice to do like an under 10 minute sprint. I just really liked it. I went four stars flat on it. Uh, you know, thought it was go- one of Goto's better matches and another strong performance for Moxley. Yeah, it was really shocking to see how short this match was. That's what really surprised me. Um, and actually, it was the length. And I, I uh, just full disclosure, I really liked the match as well. I think it went three and three quarters on it. But I think the length is what sort of prevented me from, you know, giving it that that four star mark, I would have liked to have seen it gone maybe like two or three minutes more just to give it some more, you know, substance, but you know, still overall, I, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it might've been a little bit better, but can't complain too much. Yeah. Uh, similar, uh, again, just, just missed the list. I actually, uh, we'll talk about this, I guess. Um, I really loved this whole show. Didn't have, it had, we'll talk about it one of my very favorite matches of the tournament. Uh, but everything was like really nicely timed. So it felt like the, the G1 matches in particular super were super breezy to get through. And that was kind of, I actually loved that this was a, a sprint. Um, doesn't, doesn't make the list or anything, but it is, uh, 
it, it was really good. And, and Goto and Moxley both kind of performed similarly similarly uh, for me in the tournament. Uh, basically the same uh, average rating as far as matches uh, that that I want to go back to that I kind of uh, really deem to be great. And uh, yeah, they they brought it here. And again, this is another duo that I think uh, you could put out a couple of different couple more times and then produce something different each time and we know we'd get something hard hitting um but yeah moxley it was great uh most of the tournament uh then we had the semi-main event with jay white beating juice robinson in 2301 with the jtl i guess the juice tapped out he's going didn't realize he's going to change it with every time someone taps to it uh but that makes white five and three and drops juice to three and five um so i here's my thing with this match i liked a lot of it and I like that all the legwork paid off in the end in the sense that Juice tapped out. Um, the problem I have with the match is I think the story was good enough to stand on its own without the the Gato interference. I understand that was his meta story in the tournament, but they got away from it in the fucking fight in the you know the last match against Naito. So they I, I would have liked to see Jay, especially knowing now he was gonna go on to beat Naito as clean as he did. I would have liked to see him beat Juice a little cleaner here. And to me, the, the Gato interference, if anything, felt really tacked on, like even more than usual. It just felt like, well, you know, Ju- Jay destroyed this man's leg. He doesn't, Ju- like, Juice can barely stand. Why do we need, like, the fucking Gato interference for Jay to win? It makes Jay look like, like kind of a geek, in my opinion. And when I think a much better finish would have been, like, Juice going for the Pulp Friction and having his leg give out, and Jay just wins that way. Um you know, you can cheat along the way, but like it just felt, which he did anyway, but it just felt like the, like doing that at the end just really took away from the match for me. So I went three and a half on it. Um, you know, I still liked a lot of it, but I just thought the ending really like destroyed a lot of it for me. What do you think, Andy? Uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, you all know I'm, I'm a, I'm a big Jay White fan. Uh, I love his shenanigans. I, I, I can definitely understand in, in, in a lot of wrestling, uh, hate interference and I would be okay if he didn't have that, but it doesn't take me out of matches the same way it does with other people. Um, and especially with juice, you know, juice, uh, you take juice and you take Kota Ibushi and you have like two of the most pure baby faces there like ever was. And, uh, so I think almost the story, while it does suck that it doesn't doesn't make Jay as as dominant by just having him kind of win without the interference and the cheating, it does kind of give more sympathy to Juice in in a way um, rather than him just outright losing. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it three and three quarters for me, um, and I thought uh, uh, where Juice had kind of a disappointing tournament, and uh, some people will disagree with this, but I think Jay had one of the strongest tournaments. So uh, yeah, it was great. I definitely would disagree, but we'll get into that when we get to the rankings, I guess. That's okay. Uh, Sean, what do you have here? Um, I'm I'm probably the highest on this match out of the three of us. I mean, I only went four flat on it, but, you know, I, I really enjoyed the leg work. You know, once once that started to get going in the match, you know, and it, you know, it did play out or did pay off in the end with the submission win. Um, but one thing I actually also really liked is how, you know, the – with, with the chair getting introduced in the towards the end of the match with sort of the uh, benefit in hindsight when thinking about Juice's match with Moxley in Budokan Hall, I thought it was interesting how sort of Juice gained the advantage right at the very end, and he, you know, after the chair had been introduced, he sort of took the, the John Moxley route and was going to attempt to use the chair as a weapon with the pole friction, and it ended up just backfiring on him. And I thought that was interesting how that sort of, you know, 
countered the story of Juice's next match a little bit, where he went out of his way to not use any weapons, even when they became, you know, introduced or or became available to him. So in, in hindsight, I think that might have added a little bit more to that match for me. But I you know I thought it was great, and uh, I guess as far as Jay White matches go. Um, I'd say it was in his upper half of matches in this tournament. Um, and for Juice, I'd say the same thing, sort of in that upper, at, I guess, in his sort of top three or four matches of the tournament. Yep. Uh, the, the main event, Shingo Takagi defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 2241 with the last of the dragon to go to three and five and drop the never champion to four and four. Uh, this, I don't think anyone's going to disagree on. This was fucking amazing. <laughs> Just two people, basically just two people beating the living shit out of each other. Uh, you know, they destroyed each other with lariats, you know, and uh, pumping bombers. There was the there was this crazy like lariat backdrop exchange that just had people like screaming, like flat out, not just cheering, just like basically screaming at the top of their lungs. And it was like you know the, the kind of reaction you don't hear every day, even in New Japan. Um, and you know there was like a sequence where Shingo. Ended up countering this brainbuster into an Emerald Frosion, basically, which I love when people hit moves that you know, like aren't in the normal move set, and they just kind of hit it out of the course of a match like this. So that was fucking awesome. Um, I really thought it was a full five. It ended up going four and three quarters, but this was like obviously another amazing match between two guys who both had amazing tournaments. I loved this match. I I did not have the fear. I did go the full five on it. Yeah, <laughs> tournament. Um, I could watch this match, um, and others like it, um, every single day and not get bored by it. Uh, but Ishii, either whether it was, you know, internal bleeding from the ear or if it was just a cut, I thought that visual really added to the match. Like how they, you know, the idea that Shingo beat Ishii so hard that he, you know, he started bleeding from the head. That was pretty, or bleeding from the ear. That was, that was pretty cool. And, uh, no, yeah, I hope they do this again at some point in the future. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, amazing. I mean, this is the kind of match that I like. This is what I want in New Japan for the most part, uh, and some other stuff. But uh, I, I, amazing. Not not four and a half for me, so I'm the lowest. But that still makes it uh, a top three match of the tournament for me. Um, uh, I think these are the two best people uh, throughout the tournament. They they were the, the two best wrestlers and. Uh, they showed it here. Why they they really can have basically a great match with anybody. So it makes sense that <laughs> they had a great match together. Um, I just fucking love you know you know I think some people uh, were like uh, can Shingo hang? Uh, those of us who have been watching Shingo for years know he could, and uh, I just love love his whole story arc. Even if he finished with the uh, at the bottom of B block or whatever, he uh, I guess he didn't really because there's a few other people with the same scores, but. Um, yeah, just just a great match. Uh, I don't know what else to say other than this is the the number one match I recommend probably to, to most everybody who who hasn't watched any G one uh, for this year. Yeah, so overall, this ended up being my highest rated like show of the tournament when it comes to average ratings. I wow, guess nothing was bad and everything was great. So you know, ended up being a really really strong night. And for the average, like I think does end up focusing a little too much on the Yano or Folly matches. Because I sure. think having such a strong Yano match and then the rest of the night being so good is what really helped it. But, like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's quite my favorite night, but it was a really strong night overall. 
Um, then we get to the Nippon Budokan, night 17 in Tokyo, the final A block night. The first G1 match was Evil losing to Lance Archer in 10.02 with the EBD claw. And this was another fucking awesome sprint. Yeah. Red hot crowd, yeah. two mm-hmm. dudes beating the crap out of each other, four and a quarter from me. I got no problem going high on a on an awesome 10-minute match like this. So this might have been my favorite Lance Archer match, actually, after he had a really I don't I think some people were probably a little higher on some of his other matches than I was. Yeah. Uh, just double checking to make sure I didn't have him higher in something. I think no, I had him at yeah, this is the highest rate match I had of his. So I had a, he was like at three and a half a lot for me. He hit four flat a bunch of times and three and a quarter once. So he he was like remarkably consistent. Where if you don't count Fale, he never fell below three and a half for me. But this was his like his standout performance for me. And Evil just had an awesome tournament the entire way through. So great match. What do you think, Dandy? Uh, I love the finish. I think that's that 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 uh, was something that some people were uh, not. I don't want to say some people were like harping on, but but that we're a little concerned with because it really came out of nowhere. Uh, was was kind of quick. You know, you you still got a little bit of that hot stretch, uh, but the whole match was a sprint, and then Lance kind of, you know, just takes care of business. And I don't know. It was just a uh, yeah, really good. Uh, lower than you, but still still on the list. Uh, both of these guys were, were two of the people who didn't finish the highest on, you know, if I were to rank overall MVPs or match ratings or, or the number of matches on that made my list. Uh, but both of them were probably two of my favorites. Like each night that they were on, uh, I was looking forward to their matches as much as anybody else's essentially. And uh, yeah, really loved it. Um, and I would love to see uh, whether it's the Never title or the IC title or anything like that. If you're looking for some new people to kind of inject into either of those scenes, I think these are uh, two of the people you could definitely uh, build around. What do you think, Sean? Um, I don't think I'm as quite as high on it as you are, John, but I, I still really enjoyed it. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun for, a, uh, for the opening match of the A-Block matches on that night. Uh, Love the spot where Archer did a, st- a standing moonsault off the apron. That was pretty nuts. Um, no, no, yeah, it was just a, a lot of fun. Very entertaining. Um, not as not the. I, I guess the finish was a little too sudden for me personally. But you know, I I still do like that he is winning matches with the claw in the tournament. Just to sort of put that over as like a a finisher. I just wish he probably would have, or I just wish he would have. Uh, Maybe had the claw in a little bit longer before pinning him, uh, but that—that's only minor thing. I still really enjoy this match. I want to put Lance Archer in a Nokiaism uh, in New Japan, you know, in the early two thousands, and have him wrestle six minute matches that he wins with the claw. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> then we had Sonata losing to Bad Luck Fale in ten thirty eight with an inside cradle. So Fale goes to four and five. Sonata drops to four and five. Yeah, this was back to shit for Fale. Uh, I went to I went with two stars on it, which was even that was probably generous. Um, it was really just out, out of respect for Sonata, like doing everything he could to try to make something out of this match. I mean, he ran all over the place. He di- he did dives on multiple people on the floor. He had an exchange with Chase Owens on the ring that was way better than the actual fucking match. <laughs> but like, as far as Fale, just didn't want to get do anything in this match. Like he did a fucking two long nerve holds in a row, and it's like. Buddy, this is fucking Budokan Hall. Like, I, it didn't even make any sense to me because I've seen him try harder on, like, other fucking matches. Like, he just didn't seem like he was in the mood to do anything. I'm like, okay, it's Budokan, buddy. Could try a little bit harder than this, but whatever. Uh, it wasn't good. 
It was not Folly's worst match, but that's only because Sonata tried very hard to make anything out of it. It mostly failed, but I gave him two stars for effort. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, I think it was close to his worst match, though. Uh, this one, uh, this was one of the only ones where I was, because at this point, I, I'm similar. This is uh, the final A block night. Uh, I expected a little bit more. Um, not that I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so this was one of the, one of the only times where I was like, whatever, like, like that, that's not necessarily acceptable because he, he could do better. Um, Sonata did, did try and work around him, but didn't really work out. So yeah, I didn't rate it, but it would be around that two star range for me. Um, I didn't, I wasn't as bothered by this match. Um, though I still, if I get, if I was considering it with the other folly matches, I probably have it. I probably have it in his bottom half, though. I wouldn't. It would not be like you know the worst or second worst or maybe even the third worst. I'd, I'd say it's firmly in the middle. Um, I didn't. I. I it, it was. It was okay. I. I didn't hate it that much. So, I just. I just. The only. The only good thing is that I continued the story of Fale winning uh, matches with wrestling moves, and that's. Uh, that's really the only highlight. And I. And I guess too. Uh, Chase Owens and Jado getting tied in the Paradise Lock right before the finish, and then Jado and Balak Fale almost forgetting Chase after the fact and having to go back in to get him out. That was that was pretty funny, but you know, obviously that was uh, that was after the match. So, who what? Can, if you all look back, what what is? I already told you my my favorite Fale match and the only one that made my list was was the Archer match. Did you all have yeah, a different one that was, that was, that was higher that was rated? Right. That was my highest rated folly match too. Yeah, that was my highest rated okay. folly match as well. Yeah, for me it was three and a quarter. So. Right. Um, okay, so that means the next match was Kenta and Zack Saber Jr. with Kenta beating Zack in sixteen twenty six with the ZSJ style armbar. Zack uh, beat Kenta. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, they have it wrong on the New Japan site. Bullshit. Zach beat Kenta in 1626 with the ZSJ style armbar. <laughs> uh, that moves Zach to four and five and dropped Kenta to four and five. Um, so first of all, I have a note here that says, Crowd really got on Kenta for not giving Zach a clean break and trying to kick his head off. Very weird hearing Kenta get booed in this building especially. If only I knew what with what, what was to come two <laughs> days later. booed a lot more, but... Uh, yeah, he, this is where he first started playing into the booze, which in hindsight, I guess, was a clue. But not one I picked up on at the time. Um, but yeah, there's like there was a spot, too, where like Kenta hit like a, a very weak flying clothesline. And that kind of sums up, I think, what his issues are were in the tournament, where like he'll be going along pretty well in a match, maybe even really well, and then he'll just hit a move that looks like super awkward and weak. And I think he just needs to do a better job of like figuring out his own limitations now at this point. Like that's what I would like to see from him more in the future is like not attempt stuff that just is not going to look good at this point. Um, but yeah, a lot of the presence is still there and he still has a lot of the subtle charisma um, and he's able to hit people a lot harder, which is what really helped him in this tournament yes. in general. Uh, and there was like a really badass streak exchange at the end when Kenta like told Zach to hit him and then instead just like ducked and hit like this super, sick counter slap and that's like a, a really great subtle heel type of uh type of move there but yeah like the crowd liked that zach tapped him out like the crowd was behind zach which was like really funny to, to see and then you know, there's some people out there who will tell you that like 
Japanese crowds always cheer for the Japanese person and they always cheer against the American or the white person. It's like, not really. I mean, they, they plenty of plenty of Japanese crowds will cheer for the the uh, the foreigner when they prefer the foreigner. And this is a great example where like they, they even though Zach obviously Zach spent a lot of years in Noah too, but they view Zach as like their guy now, and they still view Kenta as like an outsider. So they were like really behind Zach here. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a really great match, and I, I went four stars flat on it. Um, you know, the stuff that was bad. Definitely dragged it down a little bit, but I thought I thought it was a good cap to the tournament for both guys. Yeah, I I went four and a quarter on it. I really enjoyed some of the stuff that some of the stuff they did in this match. I uh, thought it was interesting that you brought up that uh, diving clothesline that Kenta does because honestly, I that was one of the things he did throughout the tournament that I just never thought looked really good. Yeah, I don't know, it just didn't didn't look that impressive at all. I over time. Um, uh, yeah, I. I did not mind Zach beating Kenta here. I know some people were a little upset by it, but um, I, I, I didn't mind it. It also helped, you know, Zach get up to eight points, which, you know, as we, you know, we look at the final standings, a lot of people ended up at eight points in the A block. Um, no, I, I didn't have any issue with the result, and I thought was, the match was pretty good. Yeah, I, would, I wish Kenta would have won, but uh, really good. Uh, I... Uh... I agree with uh, a lot of what both of you said. I went four flat. Um, I think this is probably my favorite Zach match of the tournament, all things considered. I think he was a little bit more uh, snug here, and I think you know he almost was sort of fighting for survival here because Kenta kind of ran through the tournament while some of his moves would look weak. He, he was still trying to have that aura and that that previous Kenta uh, side of, of really dominating the matches offensively uh, and using his you know his ferocity and his kicks and everything. Um, to his advantage. And, and so you really had Zach basically kind of being tricky, but also kind of fighting for his life in a way. It's Kent doesn't want to take off his head. Um, and, and that's sometimes where I think Zach is. Uh, Zach's really good when he's a dickhead, uh, but he's also good when he has to, to be a little tricky in that way. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought Kent looked pretty fierce. Um, yeah, four flat for me. Um, one of my favorite for both of them for the for the tournament. Semi-main event and the match on this show most likely to get me in trouble. Will Ospreay <laughs> defeating Hiroshi Tanahashi in seventeen twelve with the Stormbreaker moving Will to four and five and dropping Tana to four and five. Um, I'm not gonna like push this point home a lot because I don't want to get any one star iTunes reviews. I'm just gonna say. The problem I have this match, even though there are parts of it that were really spectacular, and I don't, I don't think anyone would deny that, is I thought Will Ospreay's leg selling was like super, super, super inconsistent in this match, where you know he would do. I, I, I just wish they hadn't done a leg match at all, and I get why in character it makes sense that they would. Like Tanash would try to slow this man down, but the problem was like, you know, Will, Will doesn't have like a medium gear on anything. So his idea of selling the leg is like doing like all this picture perfect like Sasuke special to the floor and all these moves over and over again like perfectly and after landing perfectly from whatever the move is just like grabbing his leg like he just got shot in the shot by a sniper. Like that's what it felt like to me. It's like okay, I just did this Sasuke special and now like oh god, my leg. So it just really didn't work for me at all. Um you know, took me out of the match completely. There's one point too where like he, you know, he he's like 
they, he did a bunch of moves. There's a long sequence. Tanahashi hadn't touched the fucking leg in maybe at, at least three minutes, maybe like five minutes. And suddenly Oscar was like hopping up and down to get to the top rope. And I'm like, buddy, he hasn't even touched your fucking leg. Why are you hopping on the other leg when your leg was just fine two seconds ago and Tanahashi hasn't even touched you? But And then he hops to the top rope, and of course he does a perfect fucking leaping shooting star press. So I don't know. Like People can call that nitpicking if they want. I just can't go higher than three and a half on a match where one of the guys just like couldn't actually do what I think was required to be done for the, the story they were trying to tell. So anyway. Go ahead, tell me, tell me what an asshole I am, Sean. Um, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're an asshole at all. I, it's, it's, it's your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. Um, Thank and, you. you know, it's it's always been like this might be recently that you know, wrestling is very much an art form, and much like you know a painting or a sculpture, you know, people interpret works of art differently. Um, where one person might not really like something, I, I, I might really like it, and and it's but that's but that's true though. You know, wrestling wrestling is an art form. And Sean with a very long winded way of saying, John, you are an asshole. <laughs> no, John, I, I I I'll let Sean continue, but I'm I'm much more in your camp than a lot of the internet right now on this match, so it's okay. Okay. <laughs> no, I, like, I, I have exactly one person in my corner. It's awesome. Um. No, I, I mean, I I am one of the people who really uh, love this match. Um, you know, the leg, and I guess this goes in general, the leg stuff is always really interesting to me, or when somebody works over a leg in a match. Um, because maybe this is just me, me. I think other people have mentioned this before. But I, I've sort of subscribed to this whole uh, theory that, you know, somebody might be working over a body part, but the uh, execution of, you know, like Osprey of high flying moves and whatnot could be explained away via, you know, the being in the moment, the adrenaline, you know, helps you get through it. And, you know, he might be feeling it afterwards, but just being in that atmosphere helps him, you know, power through it, even though it's, you know, it might be bothering him. And I, and I, I guess as far as the leg, I, I'm not, you know, someone who thinks that, you know, uh, if somebody hits you with a couple of dragon screws, you should be, you know, limping around, you know, struggling to, you know, even walk or do anything. I think that just comes from, maybe that comes from my uh, days of playing the, oddly enough, this is an odd comparison, but, you know, my days of playing the uh, SmackDown versus Raw games when I was a kid where you had the little uh, body part map on the, on the, you know, upper corner of the screen when you're <laughs> facing someone. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, your opponents, like, if you're working over a leg in the game, it doesn't take, you know, three moves for their, you know, uh, body part to turn red. You really have to work on it, like, over and over and over again. So, you know, Tanahashi hitting, hitting like, three dragon screws on Osprey, I don't think it's going to, you know, totally prevent Osprey from doing anything. Um, no, no, see, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I would have had less of a problem if he had blown off the fucking leg completely, then if he had kept going back to it right after he hit like a million moves in a row, like that's what really, really bothered me. Right. So I want to clarify that. Like if he had, if, if he had stopped fucking selling the leg at some point, it wouldn't have been as bad. I mean, still would have been, you know, I still would have taken points off for it probably, but I wouldn't have been like completely 
taken out of the fucking match the way I was when he was like right. doing a million moves in a row and then suddenly like, but wait, now I'm hopping up and down for some reason. So. Yeah, I, I don't mind. I don't mind like Osprey like doing moves and then like you know just like you know pun- punching his leg a little bit or like trying to feel it out a little bit. Maybe the hopping was that's probably a little too much <laughs> considering you know unless it's something where like your leg like uh, like a bushy or juice or your leg was already pretty damaged coming in. That's that's a more believable situation for that. So I guess maybe you know the 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 one bit where he was hopping might have been a little too much, but. Like when he when he does a move and then he just sort of like you know feels out his leg or you know punches it a little bit to try to get the feeling back like that that part of it doesn't bother me but maybe the hopping was a little too much. Uh, any other thoughts on the match, Sean? Since like rudely, I rudely cut you off there. I'm no, sorry. no, I thought it was great, and I think you know, obviously, I think a lot of people had before the tournament started predicted that Okada was going to be the big scalp for Osprey, um, or I guess at least some people did. But um, I'm very surprised that they actually did have him beat Tanahashi clean. And that, you know, obviously that tells you what they think of Will Ospreay if he's beating, you know, Roshi Tanahashi clean in the middle of the ring in uh, Budokan Hall. I, see, I, 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 thought he was gonna, I thought he was going to, honestly. And I think it also, as much as it says something about Ospreay, which it clearly does. I don't want to take anything away from that. I mean, the man is, like, getting pushed. It also, to me, says something about where Tanahashi's going to be for the rest of the year. Leading into Russell Kingdom, like I just I'm serious. I just, he goes away. Well, it's it, where he goes every year after. I mean, uh, other than last year, right? I just think he's gonna, yeah, he's gonna be maybe uh, maybe going to Jericho Land or something, but he's clearly not gonna be like a big deal going into Russell Kingdom. What do you think of this, Andy? I didn't get a chance to talk about this. Uh, yeah, I mean, so so I watched this match uh, two and a half times, uh, which I can't say about any other match. Uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. Um, I thought it was pretty boring, and I was seeing people throwing around four and three quarters, uh, and and even higher for some of our our compatriots uh, here. But uh, I just didn't see it. I thought it was was just another kind of Will Osprey match, and like he's going through the motions. And I agree about the selling aspects. A uh, second time I watched it, I liked it a bit more, and I can kind of forgive. Uh, inconsistent selling in this day and age, uh, especially in regards to a wrestler like an Osprey or an Omega or a Kanosuke Takashita or someone who who is really does does kind of have these epic matches with these big moves. Um, uh, these people who I don't I don't know. It's not my favorite style of wrestling, but it's also I view it kind of as you know these big action Michael Bay style movies, and uh, it's kind of dumb, and I can turn my brain off and enjoy them, but they're never going to reach like the highs. Uh, in my favorite category as as some other uh, matches. Um, so I, I turned around a little bit. I like this. It didn't make my list on the lower end, but uh, I, I did think it was good, just not not nearly match of the tournament or even the best match for either of these guys. So what was your star rating? Come on, I made the list. Three and three quarters. Okay, so you had a quarter star higher than May. Yeah, so exactly. we're, about, we're about the same, basically. I mean, I could have been nice to give it a three and three quarters, but the fucking, if he hadn't done that goddamn hopping, it's really the hopping that like really ruined it for me that i uh-huh. would have gone higher uh, uh, hopping and hopping in the faces <laughs> okada, <laughs> okada and kota ibushi the main event uh kota ibushi defeating okada in 2507 uh that made them both seven and two but kota advances because he beat okada in this match so moved on to the final um so this is the what I like to call the rare disappointing four and a half star match. I mean, we're like I, I don't know if I was expecting higher, or if it was 
just like my expectations were just too fucking high. I mean, it was still an amazing, awesome fucking match, but like, you know, I just for the tournament both guys had, I, I sort of expected like five stars. And it's clear now they're doing another one of these matches down the line. So, you know, I get it. Like, as yeah. far as like why it couldn't quite get to that level and they need to save some stuff. Um, but like, you know, still, I mean, you know, I'm, it's nitpicky to say that about four and a half. I mean, like, the only, to me, it's almost more to say like, why this wasn't five than anything. And it's like the first 15 minutes just felt like too inconsequential. They weren't bad and they weren't boring, but they just didn't feel like they built anything. Um, and the match quote unquote only went 25 minutes. So like, I don't know when they went those 15, I thought they were going to go like 29, 30 or something. And then it just kind of ended and felt almost like, well, why didn't we get like another three minutes in this epic new Japan main event style? Um, but the entire physics stretch was still, one of the best of the year. Um, you know, there was there was a spot where, like, you know, these things can get really o- overly choreographed at times, but there was, like, a spot where like, Ibushi, you know, was going for the Kamigoe, and Okada just grabs his leg out of, like, pure fucking desperation and just won't let go of it. And it was like, what a great spot, because, like, that, where the, instead of doing these, like, overly choreographed, overly, sometimes hokey, and I think Jay White was probably the biggest... Uh, one guilty of this, like New Japan fishing sequences, you just had a guy, you know, doing something so fucking simple to to break up the common goe. So that really, really worked for me. Um, and then there, there was like this really nuts like counter where Okada went to do like the his big high drop kick, and Ibushi just turned it into the, this oh. mini power bomb. That was so cool. There was so any, there was a drop yeah. kick counter. Incredible. The dropkick counter, the bomb yay was awesome. I mean, just a really, really strong finishing stretch. Uh, I like Ibushi's like kicks when he like does the high kicks now to get right into the finishing stretch where he like just kicks the shit out of you before he puts you away, which you know is really, really, really cool spot. But yeah, I mean, four and a half star. Like I said, the rare disappointing four and a half star match, but you know, still an amazing match. <laughs> yeah, I think this was. Um, it might be. Honestly, even including the final, the, the to me the most main event feeling match of the whole tournament. Um, it felt very epic. The crowd was very. I mean, the crowd in Budokan the whole, the whole time was for for all three nights. We'll talk about that. Where you know we're, we're ravenous. They were great uh, for most of most of the tournament. Um, but yeah, I, I love this. I love both of these wrestlers. They both are uh, in the top five as far as performers for me for the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I do think you're right, and and that it set the table uh, for them to have another uh, big match here coming up, and uh, they'll you know be, definitely be shooting for the five star uh, match there. Um, I can definitely understand the, the disappointing aspect of it, but it was still uh, definitely in my top five favorite matches of the tournament. And uh, anytime Abushi gets super kick happy, uh, I can really get into that. And, and Okada on the whole. Um, if Jay White is kind of hokey with the, with the reversal spots, I think he's one of the, the best, uh, as we said, with Evil as well. And so having someone as smooth as Ibushi and someone as, as generally as smooth as Okada, even if he has lost a step here and there uh, this year compared to maybe years past, um, it was just a really great classic kind of New Japan main event that could have you know, been the main event of any big New Japan show of the last like three or four years. What do you think, Sean? So, yeah, I think it uh, says a lot about both these guys that they were, 
you know, still able to have an incredible main event while also holding back and saving stuff for a future match. Um, you know, just incredible stuff from both guys. The two spots that you guys already mentioned, uh, the uh, drop kick counter into the power bomb, and then the uh, uh, the uh, bomba yay that was countered by the drop kick, which was you know enhanced even more by the uh, the way the camera shot it. You know, just puts over the fact that you know New Japan's production is really is really spectacular on stuff like that. Um, and you know, yeah, it's pretty much you know two of the top performers of the tournament having a great match and uh, setting the stage for the, you know, it set, you know, the first half of the final. And then obviously, as we would later find out, it sort of served as a preview for Wrestle Kingdom. Okay. So over, I mean, overall fucking great show, obviously. Yeah. I think actually this might be my looking at ratings. This may be my show of the tournament. Maybe. It's right. It's tied for. Uh, oh God, I have it pretty far. It's like it's really dragged down, I guess, by the fucking. Uh, oh, it's like it's tied for a le- for folly match. It's tied for like eleventh on my average. But I'm like, how the fuck is this show eleventh? I would probably put it like top five easy, maybe top three. So, okay. like, there's two shows that got fucked over by folly. This one's one of them, <laughs> and the other one's like one of the A block Corkins. So that's that's uh, kind of the advantage yeah. of my system versus yours, where I only rate. The, the high end stuff. Yeah. So so I have four matches that made my sheet from this, and I think only one other night do I have that. I might this might be the only one with four matches that made my my. Oh nope, July twentieth, yeah. whichever one. Uh, that was Okada Osprey night. That's the the only other one that had four. I mean, the problem, like I said, too, is that all these shows are so close together that like right. just it, having one bad match. Yeah. Like there's there's exactly <laughs> one show on the entire list. Like basically, my the average star rating list. I have one show that top four, which is that Yokohama show, and then everything else except for one other show is between three point four five and three point nine five. So mm. that's like seventeenth to second. So that's half a star. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> which is there's ridiculous. A bunch of, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of stuff that's all like around three point seven too. The only show that I actively disliked, and this this one the average rating really like. Matches up was night eleven uh, in Takamatsu, which is uh, what, the what's block. the date? What's the date of that one? Let me look it up. Hold on. So that was um, well. I can just tell what the matches were. That was the Evil Tanahashi match, which was the only match I went above four on. But it also had Folly and Ibushi, which I hated, and uh, so July Kenta, July thirtieth. Yeah, yeah, K- Kenta and Sonata, which was bad. Um, Osprey and Zach, which I was disappointed by. Mm-hmm. Uh, Okada and Archer, so it was just not a good show. Yeah, uh, and that one's like a two point nine average. So that's like my one show that doesn't fall in this crazy range. So I actually really like that show. Okay, well, <laughs> not, <laughs> that was the only show. I, I, I would not. I don't think I would have it in my top like seven or eight, but I did really like it. Uh, I think. The- well, most people liked most people liked Osprey's ESJ a lot more than I did. So if you did. That I totally get why you'd have that show a lot higher, but I and I and I am and I am one of those people. Yeah. Uh, but I think on that show I had like I I obviously really liked that match and the Tanahashi uh, Evil match, but I also really liked the Okada Archer match as well. So that probably helped it a lot for me too. Um, but everything else, like I said, really tightly packed together. So we need to talk now about a topic. I don't know if I have it in me to be fiery about. If we record this a few days ago, 
I would have still been very fired up. But let me go back to Sunday morning, August 11th, the day of the B-Block final at Nippon Budokan, because I woke up in the morning and, you know, I turned to my girlfriend who was like already awake and she already, she knew basically what today was, that this was Naito Day basically. And even though she's not a fan, she knew like, she, she was aware how important this was to me. She was aware of the various scenarios for how he gets through. She was aware of like, you know, what's going on. And I'm like, I just basically told her, I'm like, I really want to look this up before I watch it, even though I know I shouldn't do that. But like, I don't want to fucking sit through the entire show not knowing. And finally, she's like, I'm just going to look it up because I want to know. And she looks it up and she makes a face. I'm like, oh, he fucking lost, didn't he? And she's like, yeah. uh, yeah. And she's like, not only did he lose, he lost in like the stupidest way possible. And I guess she meant like, in other words, it, it, she didn't get, he didn't just get knocked out by Moxley. He got knocked out in the main after he could have gone through. So, you know, people saw my Twitter thread that day. Um, you know, I got, I had a lot of people dunking on me on Twitter over that, which I understand. I, I like, I like I said, I was sincerely very angry for like five minutes i'm gonna say five minutes i was very angry after that it was more like uh depression resignation uh you know just accepting the fact that this is this thing is never going to happen now a few days later there's there have been developments that make it like well maybe naito's still in this in a weird way and that's also where i feel like they're probably building me up for false hope again but like, so I'm not quite as angry as I was two days ago when it felt like, okay, well, he's done. He's not doing anything at Wrestle Kingdom that's going to even take him close to the title. So we can talk about that afterwards. I mean, you, you probably have already heard about it if you listen to the show. But um, So that is a mitigating factor. But the day of the show, I mean, it took me like six hours to actually get around to watching this. I was still very upset and still very sad. And, you know, I, ha- I feel like I need to come come out there and speak up for Naito fans because I feel like we get a... We get we get too much shit, and in this case, we got a lot of shit that I didn't think we deserved. Obviously, I follow a lot of Naito fans on Twitter. I talk to a lot of Naito fans in in both countries, in America and Japan. And you would think, from listening to people, and I'm gonna I'm gonna single out Joe Lanza because he did a he did a Patreon episode right after his B Block night where he said some stuff I'm gonna very much disagree with. And, you know, I hope he listens to the show and he can tell me if he disagrees with my disagreement. But, you know, some people on Twitter, too, again, saying, you know, why are Naito fans so sad? What do Naito fans have to be sad about? Blah, 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 blah. Naito fans are babies. Like, look, you're talking about a fan base. There's, there, there's a lot of stuff I need to push back on. First of all, this idea, and Joe said this. Joe said, you know, basically, uh, Naito fans are entitled. Naito fans, Tetsuya Naito's not... Uh, entitled to a an ace run, um, you know Naito he might not, not be coming. They have to get over it. Blah 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 blah. This is not a fan base rallying around Yoshihashi uh, Yoshihashi and deciding that he needs an IWGP Heavyweight Title run. This is not a fan base doing something that the company itself is not designing them to do. This is the part that really fucking infuriates me when people talk about it. The company teases this year after year. They set it up so Naito, obviously when he went to fucking Wrestle Kingdom, when everybody thought he was going to beat Okada and then just lost. And that's that's not even arguable, I think. I mean, everybody, I think, agrees that everyone expected Naito to win that and they just didn't. Fine. They had him 
you know, make this big recovery in the in the, uh, in the G one last year after he lost to Omega on the first night. He was chasing Omega the entire time. He goes into the final night with a chance to go on, and they just have him get fucking pinned by Zach like a geek. But everybody that was set up for where okay, Naito can move on. It's not like people made that out of made that up out of midair. It's not like a lot of people didn't think Naito either could or would win that G one. That was something the company did to string you along and make you think Naito had a chance and then took it away on the last night to build heat for another Zach match in November. So again, you're talking about people reacting to something the company did, not making shit up out of thin air. So that's number that's number two. This year, even more clear, because they had Naito go out, start with the two, two, those two losses. They had him lose to Moxley to, you know, that big shocker. And then he has to go on this miracle run to recover. He goes to the main event against the most hated heel in the company. Um, you know, he has everything break his way. Moxley loses. So it's win or move on. And then they just have him fucking, you know, eat the goddamn Blade Runner and get pinned. You know, especially they have him get pinned clean when Jay White, you know, need a fucking the, – the entire starting lineup of a fucking football team to beat everybody else. But now all of a sudden Naito can get pinned clean. So, yes, people were upset that they got strung along, um, you know, over and over and over again again and got beat by – you know, had to watch Naito get beat by Jay White. They're not making it up out of thin air. New Japan pushed this two belt narrative, this Naito two belt thing, from the day after the Wrestle after Wrestle Kingdom. So everybody thought this was a possibility. If you don't do that Naito two belt thing, if you just let Naito, if Naito is basically because I hear the comparison of Nakamura all the time, and it's bullshit because Nakamura, I, I lived through the Nakamura stuff. Nakamura never went on went on fucking post-match promos and talked about how he's going to be Nakamura two-belt. He's going to win the heavyweight title, be the first guy to ever win both titles. He just would occasionally lose the white title and go to the G1 final and lose, and he would go back and win the white title again, and he would just be on and on and on. It wasn't the same thing. And he already had, like, three heavyweight title reigns at that point anyway. Naito, it's like they give you this false hope they give you the story that makes you think it's leading somewhere. And then over and over again, they yank the rug out from under from everybody. And they tell you, well, you know, it's just not his time. It's Bushi's time. It's Tanahashi's time. It's Kenny's time. You know, of course, people, if you build them up and build them up and build them up and string them along, they're going to be upset every time you yank the fucking rug out from under them. So people getting mad at Naito fans, people saying Naito fans are entitled. Oh, why do you think this guy is entitled to an ace run? No one fucking cares at this point if he has a year-long title reign. You pretty much ask any Naito fan on the entire face of the fucking planet. Tell them Tetsuya Naito gets to win in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom next year. Gets to win both belts and be the double champion, but he has to lose the heavyweight title a month later. I guarantee you, every single Naito fan you talk to would take that deal. People are just looking for like a little bit of a release, a little bit of something at the end, like a light at the end of this tunnel to make this three-year fucking journey mean something at the end. And maybe it's not going to mean anything. Maybe he's just going to lose all the time. Maybe we're all being strung along for nothing. But then to tell Naito fans, like you're basically telling them, not only do you have to eat shit, but you better like it, motherfuckers, or else we're going to fucking go on our podcast or we're going to go on Twitter and complain about you. That's where I take a, you know, I have a strong problem with it. So I think people are very unfair to see Naito fans. I don't think they're asking for anything unreasonable when the promotion builds up all the time. This is not everybody getting together and deciding that Taichi has to win and be champion for three years, okay? 
That's not what it is. So when people treat it like it is that, it does get me worked up. And I do think people are very unreasonable to Naito fans. So that's my big rant. Um, I don't guess I don't really have much. <laughs> you thought you didn't have the energy for it. <laughs> I, I, it came back to me after I started thinking about it. But yeah, um, so I, obviously I was very upset here. We'll talk about the show itself now, I guess. Uh, start with Toriano and Jeff Cobb. Uh, Jeff Cobb defeated Toriano in 518 with the Tour of the Islands. Uh, this is pretty, you know, it was whatever. It wasn't really much to it. Why don't you say something, Andy? I'm very out of breath. <laughs> I don't remember much about this match. It was, yeah, very whatever. That's kind of how it was. Uh, fine, I guess. But uh, I like when Yano wins uh, in matches. That's how, that's how I remember them. When Yano loses, even though even if they're funny, uh, they're not memorable. And Jeff Cobb, for all intents and purposes, is not a, a funny guy. So I uh, don't think he handled it too well. And I think it was probably just a, a match. Uh, something that was uh, stuck out to me a lot at the beginning was uh, when the referee was taking out all those rolls of tape out of Yano's trunks. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think at one point Chris Charlton made an erection joke, <laughs> saying that Naito must or not Naito uh, Yano must be very excited. Um, so that, that that was certainly something. Um, I also thought it was pretty. Pretty cool, pretty unique how Yano sort of tied uh, Cobb's hands within his own trunks, his own singlet. That was that was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, n- nothing much really to it here. I mean, Jeff Cobb got the win uh, to get his point total up a little bit. And uh, nothing really much else to say beyond that. It was, it was a meaningless match. Uh, after that, we had Taichi defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 11.56 with the Black Mephisto. Um, this match, this was the one good thing basically about, uh, my Sunday, uh, this really like brought me back to life just watching this match. Um, you know, Tai Chi, Tai Chi went out there and just fucking fought this man. There was no bullshit at all. He, there was a one point where he did that last ride powerbomb. And instead of doing that, like humiliation cover, he does where he like leans all the way over the guy and lays on him, like. I don't know, like they're about to fuck, honestly. He he just covered him like a normal person. And it's like that that kind of like little subtle thing was like, which I don't even know everybody picked up on, was like just like it basically encapsulated the match. Like he was taking this so seriously and he was showing, like, you know, I can do this. I can do a 12-minute fucking brawl where I just kick the shit out of somebody. I, I just choose not to do it. And I think that almost which they teased before with the the in the New Japan Cup in the second round where Ishi, where Taichi lost where he stood and traded with Ishii most of the way and ended up losing the match. I think having him go out there and do it even more and not cheat at all and just beat Ishii is great character development for him and it makes it it almost makes it now when he does cheat. It's like I mean Liger got really mad at him the next night and it's like when he does do cheat and does do bullshit. It's like well we know we know you're fucking great. We know you can go out there and just have fucking awesome matches if you want to and just kick somebody's ass. So why are you still bothering with all this bullshit? But yeah, I thought this was just amazing. Uh, I went four and a half on it. When he, he fucking like the, the end of the match where he just, Ishii like goes for his desperation and Zagiri. Uh, Taichi just fucking completely no sells, no sells it. Hits a super kick and hits the Black Mephisto Stone pins him. Like I jumped out of my seat and I was like, you know, and to, to get me up and cheering after that, after the Naito shit was quite something. So awesome match. And I can't wait to see them hopefully fight again in the future. 
John, I'm sure you're happy that this was the match that finally got Dave Meltzer to admit that Tai Chi was good. <laughs> yes, he. he I, I actually listened to that today. I heard him. Uh, he, he said he he's turned a corner on Tai Chi. He actually said his whole tournament was good, but he said yeah. this match especially was was great. So yeah, and I think it, this you know this could sort of served as a little bit of a uh, continuation of the story from the New Japan Cup match, where you know. Tai Chi, you know, at one point in that match, sort of teased using stuff and then just threw it down and, you know, fought Ishii. And then this time he just fought Ishii straight up. And it was pretty great. I went four and a half on it as well. Uh, tai Chi's best match of the tournament. And it's uh, no surprise that it would come against Ishii. Um, and yeah, no, I think Tai Chi, you know, obviously he uses all the bullshit and whatnot, but he's proven a couple times in this tournament, you know, like this match with Ishii, the match with Shingo. That you know when when he can or when he's in a situation where he needs to go, he can he can go, um, and yeah, no, this is definitely his highlight of the tournament for sure. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, great. I mean, uh, not the best Ishi match, uh, probably the best Taichi match of the tournament. Four and a quarter for me, so still very very high. Um, I think if you take uh, you know your fandom of Taichi and and Sean generally grades maybe a little bit higher than than I do on. Uh, you know, very high quality matches. I think we're all basically in line with, with you know, similar ratings and how we feel where it stands overall in the tournament. But uh, awesome sprint. Awesome to see uh, Tai Chi really work in that uh, main event. It's not a main event, but a big heavyweight style uh, really, really brought it here. So I loved it. Just like, I think, I think uh, basically universally everyone loved this match. So Yeah, I haven't even seen, like, I, I haven't seen a single person hate it. Even people that normally yeah. hate Tai Chi. Well, hate on so. Tai Chi. Yep, yep. Uh, Juice I mean, Robinson. even who, who in our in our uh, in our uh, Slack, uh, Rob Robin Reed also loved it. It was a very notorious, tight, not notorious, but also very anti Tai Chi. So, yeah, uh, I think it was Rob. Might have been Garrett. It was one of the two that no, don't like was, Tai Chi. It, <laughs> it was, was Rob. Rob. I, okay. I haven't seen yeah. Garrett's comments. Garrett's being a coward, I guess, and not telling us <laughs> what he thinks for the match. He's too busy posting uh, team gifts. Then we have Juice Robinson and John Moxley. Juice winning in sixteen twenty six with the pulp friction. Um, so this was a weird one. I just found it pretty dull for a while. It just didn't land with me at all. And then it improved. I basically I tweeted that and then immediately after I tweeted that, it got pretty good. So, you know, I just tweeted that too early, I guess. Um it only really recovered enough to be three and three quarters for me, but I did like it quite a bit by the end. Yeah, uh, just missed just missed my list. Sorry, Sean. Uh just uh, missed my no, list. You're fine. But, re- but really, really liked it. I think um this is definitely one of the more uh, WWE style matches maybe of the tournament. Um, and so if you're more into kind of uh, the Western entertainment style, uh, still like the hard hitting stuff, uh, but more like ECW or early um, NWA style things or whatever, uh, it was it, it was good, but there were definitely some dull moments. I think this was, uh, you know, a, a really competent pro wrestling match um, outside of New Japan. This would be a highlight of, of, of many a shows, but but not in the midst of the G1, I guess. Um, I went four and a quarter on it. Obviously, I didn't think it was as good as their uh, their title match from uh, the best of the Super Junior Finals. Uh, but I, I still really enjoyed it. Uh, sort of as I uh, alluded to earlier, I liked the story of uh, how Juice just uh, just refused to use uh, weapons when Moxley brought them out. Uh, thought it was funny how. Uh, for for once, uh, somebody putting a table back under the ring actually got cheers. Because normally, especially in you know North America, 
it's you know you get you would get like booed out of the building if you put a table back under the ring. Um, and yeah, I know the result was pretty much as we expected. Uh, Juice getting the win, and it sets up the rematch between Juice and Mox for whenever and wherever they decide to do it. I do think the visual of Juice getting choked out and you know suffocating basically was was really good. And again, going back to to quality New Japan work, Juice really sold that really well. You know, shades of of when uh, Suzuki choked out Goto. Uh, Woods that couple Wrestle Kingdoms ago, you know, on the top rope and everything, and I really thought that that was uh, an excellent spot. And Juice is just so good at playing babyface in peril in that way. So uh, I love that aspect. Um, and then John, you posted the uh, which I don't ever watch the promos really unless you you uh, post them, but you sent along the uh, post match promo, which was awesome on both accounts. So uh, I love this feud and, and hope they continue. Yeah, I mean, Moxie's promos have been awesome all tournament, which is yeah. makes it quite funny given what he was doing before this. But you know. <laughs> like I said, while he was so goofy in WWE, he was still you know like a top three or even top top promo in that company, even though he's lapping his himself what he was doing there. So, have you you know how many times I've watched the start of that uh, that promo from last year where he does the injections just because like the look, the look on if they, I'm amazed they didn't take that off of YouTube after he did that, that interview. Yeah. I, I guess Jericho, yeah. we talked about that promo, but like if you go back and watch it, like he has this look on his face. Like I really hate my life. I hate everything I've done <laughs> yeah. to get to this point And I want to be anywhere else. And it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm loving him and loving him outside of that company. It's great. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it really makes you wonder you know, from both an in-ring and a promo standpoint, especially in-ring, though, because like you said, promos, I mean, even though, you know, he would be bad at times because everybody there is bad, like he was the best of the bunch, probably. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised the promos are great. I am surprised, like, how fucking good he was in the ring in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not a guy I ever thought of as a top worker in, in WWE. I mean, like, I thought of him as, you know, mid to bottom, basically. And for him to come out of that company and have a tournament where he's like got a four, like over a 4.0 star rating average. I'm like, who the fuck else in that company is like hiding in there? Basically like who needs just less producers in their ear and less like bullshit and could do this in a, in a G one, you know? And I mean, like it says a lot maybe about a lot of the hidden, the hidden gems that are probably on that roster. That we oh just yeah. Don't we all know. talk about Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It's like what there used to be the old talking point. This is terrible now because of where he is, I guess. And uh, I think Sean, you watch WWE a little bit more than than both of us. But uh, just Dolph Ziggler, like that used to be the talking point, like four or five years ago. If Dolph Ziggler left WWE, he is main eventing PWG like the next night. Which I think that might be bullshit, but like that's kind of like the same the same idea. There is a lot of of excellent workers there that are super hampered. Yeah, and it's like it just it really. If anything, it just really drives home how terrible the modern WWE style is. I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, I know people don't like mm-hmm. hearing things just like that, clear cut. But the the modern main roster main event style is is just bad. I mean, there's no other way to say AJ Styles it. and Ricochet have had subsequent two star matches according to the internet. So that's that's crazy. <laughs> it just yeah. it just fucking sucks. I mean, it just yeah. fucking sucks. There's nothing crazy. else to say about. It. I said subsequent. Uh, I meant successive. <laughs> I wish the main event was next, so I could say, speaking of things that fucking suck, but it's not. That is Goto and Shanko, which did not fucking suck. Rock. Uh, yeah. Shanko beat Goto in the 1510 to, with the last of the dragon. Um, I went four and a quarter. It was pretty fucking awesome. The only little complaints I had were like 
there it was pretty boring early on, especially for what I expected. There was like a long Goto chin lock that felt like really unnecessary. But once they really got going, they really got going. I mean, like there was a there was basically one one lariat by Shingo where like Goto like charged up his like his little charging kick and Shingo just like burst up and like lariated him and that was just so fucking awesome. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, four and a quarter for me. This was really great. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe could be even better. And it sounds like they're gonna fight again. So maybe they will have an even better match down the line. But uh, it was really good. So what else can you say? Yeah. After these two matches, uh, it's it's pretty. It would be. It would have been pretty. Uh, it it would have been a good look if Shingo stayed a junior. But thankfully, you know, he confirmed after the match that he's uh, he's going heavyweight as he should. You know. It, victories over if victories over you know uh ishii and goto back to back aren't enough to uh to uh you know prove that you belong in heavyweights then i i really don't know what it is um i really i really love this match and actually ended up uh cracking my top 10 the back half of the top 10 matches of the tournament for me at the, at the very end there uh just you know great stuff between these two i i wasn't as bothered by the little start at the beginning but uh no, yeah, it was it was just uh, not quite as good as Ishii and Shingo, but just fantastic all the same. Yep, yeah, I love when Goto gets a good dance partner that that he can yeah. get into his flow. Um, I think when Goto's doing well, he's he's definitely one of my most favorite wrestlers to watch in the world. And uh, Shingo basically and- delivered every single night, so uh, this was just was perfect um, in that regard. I mean, four and a quarter, same, same as John, but. Uh, yeah, uh, not as good as Ishii, not as good as the Naito match for Shingo, but probably his third, maybe fourth best match for me. Um, so not quite as high as, as Sean is, but uh, yeah, awesome match. Um, and uh, yeah, I could watch these guys wrestle over and over again. I think, uh, Sean, you you kind of included on something. Uh, you know, the, the people that Shingo beat um, really kind of lays clear his pathway as a heavyweight and kind of where he's going to belong to me. Um, and uh, that's perfect as the they're hopefully new Japan's going to be continuing to build the never title. And uh, I think he's going to be the champion before long main event, Jay white defeating Naito in 1851, the blade runner. Of course <laughs> he moves on to the, to the finals the next night. Um, the nicest thing I can say here is it wasn't nearly as bad as I was expecting it to be. Um, especially the combination of the, the result uh, White being somebody I wasn't a big fan of in this tournament in general, and I felt like I saw a lot of negative Twitter reaction on the match before I actually watched it. You know, all that together, I thought it was going to be worse than this. I went, I did go three and three quarters. Uh, you know, the problems I have are the, the same kind of problems I have a lot of White matches, but at least we got a clean finish here, basically. Um, you know, and like, it, there were parts that just were very boring, which is going to happen in a lot of Jay White matches. There are parts that are really cool, like the the flying form reversal into the Uranage looked fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the, the the biggest issue I have, other than the, and it's the same issue I have with a lot of Jay White matches, and it's other than the, the Gato interference, is the reversal sequence at the end of these matches, it's like reversal overkill. It's like, a, you know, I know that, like, it's a, that's a thing in New Japan in general, so I get it from that degree. But to me, he's like the new Carl Anderson now, where he does the reversal dance too long at the end of his matches. And he does it with like too many, like, it, it, especially where he's like, he keeps doing that fucking pose with the arm 
every time he goes to hit the guy with it. And it's like, you do not need to do that to hit this move. So it looks really fucking silly that you keep hitting this pose every time you're not actually going to hit the move. I guess from his perspective, it's like, well, you know, I don't want to only hit the pose. We're going to hit the move, which fine. But like, just maybe just go for the pose once. And if you can't get the fucking move on that try, don't go for the pose for the rest of the sequence because it just makes the entire thing look fucking stupid. Um, so, you know, it looks like he's square dancing with the guy a lot of the time. And like, I just don't like that part of part of his matches at all. And I think that's really, he really needs to get away from that. If I'm ever going to find him to be like a real top level worker. I mean, look, he's not bad. I think people think, I think he's like really awful or something. He's not a bad professional wrestler. He has a lot of cool looking moves. You know, his selling has gotten a lot better this year. His selling is actually pretty good now. It used to be when he first came back, it wasn't good at all. So his selling is a lot better. He's got um, a beard. Uh, he has a beard, sure. <laughs> and like, a goatee. He, he, goatee, and, yeah, sure. And obviously, obviously, his character work is great. I mean, like all that stuff is great. He gets he gets actual heel heat, which is hard to do with promotion. If I have two complaints, like I said, I want him to get away from the Gato stuff, which I thought like, he did again on the next night. We'll we'll talk about. I think you know it's it was good to establish him as a heel, but I don't think he needs it anymore. And I want him to like cut back a little bit on those those ending sequences. If he did those two things, if the ending finishing reversal sequences looked better and there wasn't as much fucking ref bump bullshit, I would like him a lot more. As he is now, he he had one of my weaker G1s. I'm hoping for better things out of him. You know, he, he had some really good matches and just had a lot of stuff that didn't play him with me at all. So hopefully he can really keep the momentum from, you know, a good last few matches going. But yeah, I mean, like those are those are my big issues. Three and three quarters. I'll let you go ahead, uh, Andy, since I'm sure you liked this match a lot more than I did. I didn't like it a lot more than you did. I mean, yeah. I gave it four, but I that means to me that I really liked it. I mean, I I did enjoy it. I, I'm as you all, I mean, you don't all know, but I did predict a correct final. That's like the only good thing I did in the the G1 uh, pick 'em. I finished like 150th, but I uh, <laughs> predicted the the correct final and winner eventually. Uh, and I actually predicted the the correct runners up as well. Um, but it's. Uh, I, I am a Jay White fan, I think. And I think, you know, <laughs> if if you got rid of the ghetto stuff, I think more people would be, if that makes sense. Um, I think that's that's the a lot of people's main hang up. His look sometimes to a degree uh, for some people. But but I don't I guess I don't want to really speak. But I, I his offense to me is, is really one of my favorite things. I mean, it's it's simple, but it looks really effective. And it's some of my favorite moves, you know, the the back suplex, uh, the the Uranagi or Sambo suplex or whatever. Um, I even really like the way that even though he goes for it too much, I really like uh, when he's wrestling someone like a Naito or a, a Bushi or someone who takes or Ishii takes the Blade Runner uh, really well, um, I think is a really effective finisher compared to it being used by other wrestlers. Um, so I definitely get the the, the complaints about uh, Jay, um, but but I did enjoy it. Um, and yeah, uh, four stars for me. Um, and he moved on. And while I, I just kind of going back to to you know your. Uh, discussion on Naito and, and Joe and everybody. Um, you know, I I'm somewhere kind of in the middle. I in after Joe posted that, I I mentioned that I actually really agree with some of the the aspects that Joe pointed out, and it's not necessarily to say that you are wrong with your feelings or anybody else uh, with their feelings or or their passions for Naito and Naito fandom. I I think uh, Naito winning is actually the right call, and I think he should be main eventing uh, Wrestle Kingdom. But I think a lot of people like myself 
don't have that kind of attachment to any kind of wrestler. And so that comes out as more of an indifference and we can't understand people's passion rather than, at least for me, we can't understand that kind of passion towards someone rather than uh, you're a fool for liking someone. At least that's how I approach it. So it's, uh, yeah, I I think Naito's the right choice, but I'm also, I really like Jay White. So I'm happy Jay White's uh, made it to the finals. Sorry, you don't have to rebut, but just want to let you know. (laughs) What'd you think? So I actually had the exact same rating rating as Andy. I went four flat on it. Um, you mentioned the Carl Anderson comparison with Jay White and the, the Blade Runner stuff. And that that's actually a perfect comparison. Um, and honestly, I think that stuff where, you know, he's doing the sort of Carl Anderson thing of going back and forth with the, you know, trying to counter the finishers and everything. Honestly, I think for me that's probably one of the uh, one of my favorite parts of his matches in general. I I always loved it when Carl Anderson did that when I you know first started watching New Japan uh, through the G1. Um, so I guess it's not too much of, of a surprise that I like when JY does it too. Now you know some are some sequences that he does in that style are obviously you know a little bit better than others, but you know I I tended to like this one, I think probably because, you know, of the, the stakes that were involved with it. Uh, I remember actually the morning of, I managed to wake up like I think right before the match started and, you know, I was, you know, on my couch, you know, still half asleep. And it was that part of the match that like really like woke me up, uh, just, you know, cause I was watching it live and, you know, the stakes were, uh, you know, the stakes were incredibly high. Um, you know, I guess with the, with the you know, it was a shocking result at the time, but I think it really it was a result that really needs sort of the benefit of hindsight. And, and you know, while we got some hindsight, and sadly we won't you know understand it fully with twenty twenty hindsight until like you know months from now. But you know, if Abushi was the planned winner of this thing all along, then I. I the Naito probably had to lose to Jay White here just because, you know, sure, uh, Naito Ibushi would have been a great final, but I don't think the optics would have been as good if, if Naito lost to Ibushi again this year because that would have that would put him at, I think, a, he would have had three losses to Ibushi this year. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I guess in a way, again, if, if Ibushi was, go- was, you know, he obviously was the guy who was going to win, then... You, you didn't want to have Naito lose to him yet again. Don't think that. Right, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I would never argue that if Abushi's going to win the G1, obviously Naito has to lose here. I just think Naito yeah. should have won the fucking G1. So. Right, right. Yeah, of course. Um, and and I guess on as far as the Naito thing goes, you know, I think I'm sort of more in line with Andy. It's just sort of in the middle. I mean, I I like everyone who is a good wrestler or who's a really good wrestler or who I enjoy in the ring. So. I you know honestly I like <laughs> Naito, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, I I I'm well I'm not very picky with that. I like you as long as you're as long as I think you're pretty good. Um, but you know I but I I guess what I'm trying to say is you know like like Andy said sort of in the middle, um, and and it, it sort of sucks that we can't really you know find out how much this is going to affect New Japan in the future. We have to. Sadly, we have to wait several months to see if it, you know, much like when Naito lost to Wrestle Kingdom uh, in 2018, we're going to have to wait a few months to see 
you know, what the effects are, what the direction is. Um, though I guess if there, if there, if there is one sil silver lining to this whole thing is that, uh, Naito fans will forever have that image and that, you know, that gif of, uh, Naito <laughs> just punting Gato on the balls. Uh, I'm sure you guys will be, I'm sure I mean, I tweeted that. My goal, my goal now is to live long enough for them to start putting like JPEGs on tombstones, so I can just have mine be Naito posing over Gato, holding his balls, like kicking him out of the ring. I hope that they <laughs> put that right on my fucking tombstone. Yeah, there, there is a there is a silver lining in every dark cloud, and for Naito fans like yourself, that that was definitely it. Uh, that brings us to the G1 final. First of all, I don't I don't want to go match match by match on this undercard because it was a bunch of tag matches and you know who needs to do that. But the main thing that needs to be pointed out, obviously, is that fucking amazing angle with Kenta turning heel, joining the Bullet Club, and Shibata running in and making the save. Um, first of all, the fucking WWE clowns on Twitter today who actually tried to say. The, the the Sasha Banks <laughs> on the ball last night was a bigger deal. I mean, talk about a bunch of fucking dipshits. And, you know, I got into it with them just for pointing out that, like, there is a good chance Sasha herself would not agree with that statement. If you ever look at her Twitter or Instagram, I mean, she fucking follows Japanese wrestling as closely as anybody. Like, she posts all this shit. So yeah, there she, does a, she does follow Brother Mord on Twitter. <laughs> she's a good <laughs> There's a good chance she's like just as big. She would not even agree with them on that fucking take. But um, their their big counter when everybody started clowning on them today was to basically claim that. Um, so was, let me just quote this tweet: Sasha's return is being reported by the New York Post, Newsweek, CBS Sports, ESPN, blah blah blah, mainstream. And then this fucking dipshit Justin Davis is like, wow, guess I wasn't wrong. The Sasha thing is a bigger deal. Can you believe it, guys? West A Western pro wrestling angle was covered by the Western news media more than a Japanese pro wrestling angle? Totally fucking shocking. I mean, that would be like me being like, well, listen, the Shibata angle was covered by Tokyo Sports, Yahoo Japan, uh, Nikon Sports. Uh, it got a whole big spread. And this week's this week's issue of weekly pro wrestling, like of course, the Western angle is covered more heavily by the Western media, just like the Japanese angle is covered more heavily by the Japanese media. Not a not a fucking hard one to figure out there. So uh, yeah, I think the, I think the one, one of the best responses I saw was like Shibata had one of the best matches of all time, went blind. Uh, was paralyzed on one side of his body, hasn't wrestled in two years, has only said a few words in public. And he came back. Sasha Banks was upset and took a vacation. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> she took a vacation to Japan. To Japan. Yeah. Right. To Japan. Her new t-shirt, it makes it very clear they're going to really run with that fucking Japan thing, which is fine because, again, this woman is a weeaboo in real life. I hate to tell people. So she might not even agree with you using her to fucking be your latest anti-New Japan fucking uh, you know, hammer. So anyway, I just thought that was amazing from today. The angle itself, obviously, I mean, we're like the 10 people talk about it. So there's no really use in going on and on and on about it. But like, you know, when Kenta came in, Kenta comes, you know, he does, a, he drops off the apron um, and Ishii fights back anyway, because he's Ishii and Kenta comes flying in with the Busiaku knee kick. That was such a fucking cool spot. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they pin, it's almost forgotten. I feel like given what happened after they pin, uh, I guess Ishii, right. Or was it? 
Yeah, it was Ishii. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ishii yeah, y- Yoshihashi's out the ring. And Kenta gives Ishii to go to sleep. Tamataga pins him, and it turned out that was a setup for the Never Title match at uh, Royal Quest. And then Shibata, Kenta grabs the mic, which is the best part. Like, he clears the ring. They beat up Yoshihashi some more. He beats up the fucking young boys from L.A., which is, like, the, the obviously the part that actually drew out Shibata. And he goes, the ring is completely clear. He goes to take a mic and goes to cut a promo, and Budokan's, like, boot him out of the building. And then Shibata just runs out of the back out of nowhere and fucking destroys him. Just the coolest fucking thing you will probably ever see. I was like, I, I don't even, I was like beyond words watching this. I was just like, because I, I managed not to be spoiled on this. And I, I'm just like, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe how I was. I was just like near the verge of tears, which if you think that's insane, this man was one of my favorite wrestlers, probably right there with Naito when he went down as far as like probably my number one A. And, you know, he, he went down after one of the greatest matches not in New Japan history, in professional wrestling history. Yeah. His last match was one of the greatest matches that has ever been wrestled anywhere, on any continent, any co- any time, anywhere. And he went, so he's basically, you know, the ultimate example of someone tragically going down, you know, at the absolute peak of their career. And here he is, two and a half years later, clearing house, beating the shit out of this motherfucker who just turned... You know, turned his back on everything after he brought him into the company. They have all this history together. And he's standing up for this promotion that he at one point couldn't give a fuck about, which is also really cool. And, you know, it just, I, I you know, it really did, it made me tear up watching it. And if you didn't, you know, if you think that kind of emotional reaction is, is lame or whatever, then whatever. But I was very emotional watching this. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, if Shibata wrestles again, if he doesn't wrestle again, you know, I hope he can wrestle again, but if he can't, it was just amazing getting this fucking moment and getting to see him in a wrestling ring again and laying people out only the way he can. I mean, Tamatanga took, God bless Tamatanga, he took like a fucking 20-foot bump for that forearm, and it looked so fucking cool. Um, yeah, he like flew halfway across the ring. Yeah. That was great. And you can tell he enjoyed it. And then they got to get heat on him, and Ken just sat in his... His sitting style, you know, that the cross on top yeah. of him, yeah, on top of him, just such an amazing angle. Yeah, it was I, great. I mean, I, you guys should talk about it too if you want. It was a fucking amazing. Nah, you covered it. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I, I think it's perfect. I mean, yeah, as you said, the last uh, against uh, uh, Zack Saber Junior. Kenta was being booed and was being booed a couple other times throughout the tournament, and uh, it's perfect. I don't know if this was always the plan or if the, that kind of happened during the G One. We people saw Ghetto or whoever saw that Kenta was not being viewed as a baby face and i think it's perfect you get the two people who genuinely get heat in new japan and jay white and kenta in bullet club and and uh that's that's pretty great so i think it's See, cool that, that makes me sad that the heavyweight tag titles are like not a thing though because they could be yeah. such a cool team yeah so. they'd be a super cool team yeah yeah this this angle was you know you guys said it was pretty uh pretty spectacular um though you know obviously it it gives us the question of what's you know what's gonna happen with shibata is he gonna is he gonna wrestle again and if so you know the match with kent does the obvious direction uh but how are they sort of gonna handle that it's kind of curious to see where they go i mean i was thinking about this today i think the honestly if if shibata were to come back and just just as like a one-off for wrestle kingdom I, i think the best idea would probably to put him against kenta in some sort of 
you know, tag match, maybe teaming Shibata with somebody like Goto or Dragon Lee, who has been sort of a disciple of Shibata in some ways, where you can sort of do a story where you build up to the hot tag with Shibata, and then Shibata can get in and do stuff where he doesn't have to take, you know, a ton of damage if he's still, you know, fragile enough where, like, the one, you know, one thing that can go wrong could, like, really mess him up. Um, but the announcement of the the Kenta challenge of Ishii at Royal Quest for the Never title is so interesting because it almost seems like that Kenta, you know, after right after this heel turn, it seems like he would have to win the title there because it would be weird if he just, like, did this big turn and then just lost his next big match. But... Um, well, he's definitely winning. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so it should be interesting to see where sort of they, where Kenta fits into the Wrestle Kingdom picture after this angle. Uh, and the only other big thing before the final was uh, obviously Minoru Suzuki pinning Okada, which is kind of a cool payoff, too, because Suzuki spent this entire tour talking about how he had a plan even though he wasn't in the G1, and then he got to pin Okada with a Godstyle Power Driver and be like, his post-match promo, if you guys didn't see, was like, Okada, you just lost to somebody who who wasn't even in the G1, who wasn't even allowed to be in the G1. So that was a great little payoff to that little angle with Suzuki. Uh, so they had a great idea there, and it really, I thought it wor- really worked by the end. Um, so now Suzuki Okada obviously will headline Royal Quest for the uh, heavyweight title. Um, but yeah, then the main, yeah. Event, main event, yeah. Kota Ibushi, Defeating Jay White in thirty one oh one to be the become the G one Climax twenty nine winner. Um, so my thought on this, I guess, is basically I thought it was really good. I went four and a quarter. Um, you know, it was the weakest finals probably since Okada Anderson for me in twenty twelve. So you know, that's just the the high standard these finals have set that I. A four and a quarter match is the weakest one in like seven years. Um, what do you have? What do you have? Omega Goto. Like I think I think I also have four and a quarter, and I think I okay. probably put that like just above this one. I mean, the rest of them; those are the two. I mean, the rest of them like are just so fucking good. So right. Um, but yeah, I mean, like as far as the match itself, I thought Kota Bushi was really world class here, especially his selling of the leg and everything. The Jay White leg offense was you know, a little dull for my taste. Like I didn't love it. Um, I get why some people really love this match. Like really, really loved it. I know Joel at the super J cast gave it the full five. I totally get that because it was, you did have that crowd element of like just one guy being beloved and one guy being totally hated. And I get that, you know, that, that brings out a mark reaction kind of, but like, I don't know. Like it just the lake offense was just a little too boring. The Gato bullshit in a G one final, like I said, it really bothered me. Um, you know, I like Kota as a big conquering hero. That makes sense. And I and I love Kota Ibushi. If that's not clear, by the way, like he's probably my second favorite guy in New Japan. So like I don't if if Naito can't win, then you know Kota is a great choice, and he had, he had an amazing tournament. But um, you know, I just didn't think this was quite up to the standard of recent G one finals. Uh, Andy, I. Bet you liked it more than I did, so go ahead. Yeah, again, not not terribly more. I'm usually about a quarter star higher on these Jay White matches, it seems like most of them. Uh, so I went four and a half on this. Uh, it does 
uh, ranked pretty high on my, my top 10 matches list uh, that we'll go over here shortly. Um, and I, yeah, I really, really liked it. Another match that I watched twice just to make sure uh, kind of where I was at to see, uh, after, especially after Joel gave it five. And I saw uh, mixed reviews all over. Uh, really kind of everything was kind of post four, but a lot of four and three quarters from other people that I, I really like. I think that's what Case went, went with as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was really great. Um, I, I really did love the, the control segments by Jay. I think that's a good spot for him to be in. Some of them are a little boring. Some of them are sometimes they don't work fully. And he's obviously not quite the technical wrestler of, uh, certain people like a Minoru Suzuki or, or even when Tanahashi or, or Naito can work body parts or things like that. Um, but I, I do, I think that really fits well with his character. So if he could, you know, kind of need when, when Naito was more of a heel and, uh, you know, when he first came back, I think he really worked a lot more body parts and he still can. Uh, but I think that's, if we could get rid of the, the interference aspect of Jay White's uh, character and uh, he's still going to be a shithead heel, he's really got to like, you know, pick apart limbs. And I think he's, uh, he's pretty good at that. Um, and Ibushi is, uh, while sometimes an inconsistent seller, uh, he, he did really 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 great here i thought and uh carried it through the, the lake story um right guy won i think uh and um yeah i was i was super stoked uh, when he won i think i always get really happy to to see a g1 final and even if i i love or don't love the winner uh i, I get pretty stoked I, I think other than when omega won honestly I, i've been super stoked at the conclusion of every g1 um and so yeah this one ranked pretty highly probably when you're talking like 2013 to now it's probably right in the middle uh for me but um most of those matches have all been pretty great so yeah good good job coda sean yeah oh, sorry, I, you... oh I, ahead, well sean. i was just gonna say you know i went uh four and three quarters on this uh it ended up cracking my top 10 at the end of the day though i would definitely say that there were uh matches in the blocks themselves i thought were better than this um I do think this was my. I do think this was Jay White's best match of his career. Um, I have been sort of waiting for him to sort of have that really truly great match because uh, his, his ceiling for me has really been at four and a half, and he just hasn't been able to sort of uh, crack that barrier. I think he finally managed to uh, to do that here. Uh, you know, I think they told a great story based off of the the angle the night before where uh, they attacked Coda's ankle. Uh, and I just think in general, the, the match had, just sort of had a, perf- a great combination of, you know, the storytelling and the drama and, and, and the wrestling as well. The wrestling was pretty good. Um, what else does to say about this? Um, I, you know, and again, if, you know, if Bushi was going to win, then I think Jay White was the perfect person to put, up against him uh, because it, you know, of the face heel dynamics and it really got the crowd and Budokan really behind Ibushi as you would expect. And it sort of made for a, a great atmosphere in that regard. Um, ranking the finals. Uh, I, I would say it's sort of, you know, certainly not up there with the best um, sort of, I sort of put it on the same level as Omega and Goto and I guess maybe some of the other lower ones from recent years, but you know, still very good at its own right, I would say. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, I definitely don't think it was bad. So that's basically what I would say about this one. 
Um, we didn't disagree on a whole lot this whole episode. <laughs> that's true. I mean, look, it was a really good tournament. I mean, what are yeah, you going to say? It was. I, I think the, in, in the end was very, I mean, these these five nights in particular were, were very strong, so. Yes. I mean, if I, if I just, like, I could bring on somebody who just fucking hates New Japan, I could bring on the anti-crack account, and he could tell, there me, you all go. About, <laughs> tell me all about how NXT UK is way better over the fuck, which, by the way, doesn't actually exist, so. <laughs> uh, as far as the G1 overall, um, first of all, Ibushi, I have to, I want to mention before we get to like ratings and all that, um, Ibushi at the end at the post G1 press conference the next day, he mentioned that he wants to challenge for the Intercontinental and the heavyweight. And he said he hasn't given up his affinity for the Intercontinental, and he said he wants to challenge for the heavyweight on one four and the IC on one five. So. I don't know what this means. I mean, like it's people have said there's, there's a lot of things it could mean. It could mean, first of all, it could be nothing. It could be just something he said. I doubt it because it's the same kind of thing that Maito has said all year with the two belt thing. So it feels like something they're building to with these two domes that they're going to do something wacky. It could mean literally what he just said. He's going to have a heavyweight match on night one. And regardless of the result, an IC match on night two, or it could mean they're doing some kind of wacky mini tournament thing where, like, it's Okada, Okada, Ibushi, and uh, Naito White for the heavyweight in the IC on night one, and the two winners fight each other on night two. So basically what I'm saying here is New Japan has once again given me a big thing, <laughs> <laughs> a false hope, and that's part of the reason why I feel a little bit better two days later. And at least feels like Naito's somewhat in the mix or something again, which he clearly wasn't two days ago. I mean, Mr. Bushi going out there and talking about the IC title in that press conference, at least tell signals to me there's something going on there. Um, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to walk out of the fucking Tokyo Dome with both titles. At this point, I would say that's less likely to happen than anything because, you know, how can you fucking believe that at this point if you're a Naito fan? But in my head, it makes a lot of sense to do some kind of wacky two-night thing because, you know, Okada Ibushi will be the least fresh uh, heavyweight title match they've ever done at the Dome in the past five years. I mean, I did a breakdown of this the other day where basically every other title match, you know, you had the one year where they did Okada uh, Okada versus Tanahashi back-to-back in 2015-2016. So the the only time they had one that was a, at least, I mean, that was the least amount of time, basically, from the last time the two people in the Tokyo Dome IWGP title match had last fought. So it was exactly one year. It was 2015 to 2016. Uh, every other time, you know, you're talking 2014, Okada Naito, they had gone a year and a half without doing it, you know, since the, the match at Corrigan, more than a year and a half. Uh, 2017, Okada Omega, they'd literally never done it. 2018, Okada Naito, you know, they hadn't done it since uh, in a year and a half again, since the April 2016 match, or the, May, the June 2016 match where Okada won the title back. And then 2019, Omega Tanahashi, they hadn't done that match in three years almost. It was like February 2016 when we did for the IC title. So you're going from all that to a match we just saw, you know, in August of 2019. So it's, you're talking about five months later, not even, you know, not even six months. You're talking about doing that match again when we just saw Kota Ibushi beat the guy clean. So first of all, if I was an Ibushi fan, which I am, to be clear, but if I was someone who, like, only stand Ibushi and only really, really wants to see him win that, I would be very frightened that Okada's winning that match if that's all they're doing. If they're just doing Okada Ibushi and the IC thing's not happening and they're not doing anything else, I, I think Okada's retaining. I hate to tell people. Um, 
The other thing, it just feels very, very like weak for a you know heavyweight title main event at the Tokyo Dome. So this way now, if they are just doing the like some kind of mini tournament or some kind of thing where if Kota beats Okada, he gets another match with Naito and Naito goads him into putting the heavyweight title on the line too. If they're doing something else with both of them, then, um, you know, it makes a lot more sense to me why they're comfortable putting on a heavyweight title match that we quite literally just fucking saw. So that's why I have a lot of maybe false hope there. Maybe it's total bullshit. Maybe Kota Bushi was drunk. Who the fuck knows? But as of now, I'm going to hold on to my little false hope. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but going to get so disappointed again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of through. I mean, we've been doing this all year. I feel like since, since Wrestle Kingdom, uh, uh, you and I and, and everybody else uh, trying to predict this and lots of wacky things. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I kind of... I'm I'm through. I just want to sit for the ride, I guess, until January fifth and or fourth and fifth, and and just see what happens. So, I don't have any uh, impressive thoughts. I would like to see something wacky. Um, I really want to make sure that Liger just gets a good match. That's that's my main thing for the the dome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess the thing with the mini tournament idea that sort of sticks out to me is that I I think if they do go with that route, where I guess if they have the two title matches on the first night and then the one with the two winners on the second night. I, I feel like that both champions in that scenario would have to win just because I, I think it would be weird for one guy to sort of win one of the titles and then immediately lose them, lose it the next night, considering that, you know, New Japan really likes to protect their top titles. Um, but I also think it's really interesting that on the Royal Quest show coming up, Naito is squared off with Jay White in a tag match. Uh, I think it's uh, Naito and Sonata against uh Jay and Chase Owens, which you know, to me that that would seem to indicate that they're going like right to that match, maybe for like even the destruction tour. So that's kind of interesting to me because if I would think that if they were going to do that tournament idea, where you know you have the two title matches on the one night before the you know uh, uh, champion versus champion on the second night, you would think that maybe Jay White would have been the option to challenge Naito since he beat him for the IC title, but. The fact that they're doing that tag match in the UK seems to indicate that that rematch is happening a lot sooner than but Jacob the, uh... beat him. Jacob beat him, and they could just do it again. Oh yeah, Look, yeah. I... yeah. Well, I mean that, but I'm sure that would make you happy to see Jay beat Naito again. Well, then uh... I know something is up. Because look, Naito always loses twice before he wins. He did yeah, it with Abushi again this year. True. He did it, did it with Zach last year. I think. Look. If people are expecting me to have some massive freakout because Naito loses the IC fucking title, they're they're in for a surprise because I'm not gonna fucking. It's not the same thing. <laughs> and second of all, I will have the idea that maybe you know that's just setting up a scenario where Naito has to go into the dome as the fucking IC challenger, which would make it even like stacking the deck even more against him. So basically, my whole thing with this is we're not gonna know until we know. You know, like well, <laughs> I yeah. said you. Know, a lot there. We'll know when the fucking Tokyo Dome cards are out, and when I mean, maybe we'll get a little bit better idea when we get closer. But I think something's up. And I think we'll see what happens. You know, I don't think Coda's just fucking putting that out there. You know, just for the hell of it. So we'll see. Yeah, we have to do two domes here. And I think the fact that New Japan's uh, social media sort of pointed out that comment specifically when they would you know 
share the post, you know, the post G1 interview on social media. They, they did make us, they seem like they pointed that out specifically like, Oh, Kota Bushi proposes an interesting challenge for the Tokyo dome. So I, I don't think that's an, like, if he was just saying that I feel like they would, you know, not even reference that in any tweets from the official accounts, but the fact that they did reference it, I do think gives some sort of credence to the idea that we might get some sort of wacky, uh, double title match tournament thing coming up at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, the, the, the people saying he's just saying it are like that stretches credibility for me. It might not be the the thing I want. Clearly it could be maybe going to be double champion. Who the fuck knows? But you know, I, I, you know, I, I just don't think he should throw that out there for no reason. Okay. So let's quickly go through our G1 rankings here. Um, let's do, let's do match first because that's easy. So I'm going to give my top ten matches. Uh, not and I'm not going to go a lot of detail since we talked about some of these already, and I talked about the rest on this podcast. And we got to get to the questions. So my number one match of the entire tournament was Tetsuya Naito versus Shingo Takagi, uh, August fourth in Osaka. That was five stars for me, the only five star match. Number two was Sonata and Okada from the night before in Osaka. I went four and three quarters. Number three, Naito Ishii and Hiroshima, also four and three quarters. Um, number four was Shingo and Ishii from Yokohama that we just talked about. Uh, I went four and three quarters on that as well. And then the entire rest of my top ten is all four and a half. Uh, in fifth, I have Ibushi and Okada from the Budokan. In sixth, I have Ishii and Jay White from uh, 715 Okaido. I thought that was White's best match by a mile. Uh, in seventh, I have Ibushi and Osprey from Cork and Hall. Again, I thought this was... Will Osprey's best match by quite a bit. Uh, in in eighth, I think I just said eighth. I, in seventh, I had that. In eighth, I have Moxley Ishii from Korokin. Uh In ninth, I have Ibushi Tanahashi from Osaka. And in tenth, I have Taichi and Ishii from Budokan Hall. Just missing my top ten, Moxley Naito, Ishii Juice Robinson, uh, and Okada and Will Osprey. Okay, give me your top ten matches of the tournament, Andy. Cool. I have a similar top five uh, for the most part. Uh, number one, my clear uh, match of the the tournament and uh, probably my singles match of the year, definitely my New Japan match of the year, is Shingo versus Naito. Uh, still at 4.75 or four and three quarters, but um, that's that was my favorite match of the tournament. Uh, number two, Ishii versus Naito. So Naito has my two top ones. Uh, number three, Shingo versus Ishii. So those, th- those combinations of three guys are all in the top three there. Um, uh, number four, Okada versus Ibushi. Uh, number five, Abushi versus Jay White, the final. Uh, number six, uh, Okada versus Sonata. I did really, really like that. Not as high as some people, but definitely uh, my favorite of, of their series of matches this year. Number seven, Abushi versus Tanahashi. Number eight, uh, I still seem to be the high man on this, but I love this match. It was early on, and uh, I still think it is uh, one of the best performances that uh, this man had, and that is Kenta versus Tanahashi. Um, number nine, Moxley versus Ishii, and number 10, Evil versus Ibushi. So a lot of names repeated, but, uh, that was my top 10. All right, Sean, give me your top 10 matches of the tournament. All right. So number one, I also had Shingo versus Naito from night 14, which I gave five stars. Uh, my number two match of the tournament was Okada versus Osprey from night seven in Cork and Hall. Also five stars on that. Uh, number three, in third place, I have uh, Shingo versus Ishii from Night 16. As I mentioned earlier, that's also five stars. Uh, 
And then the uh, rest of my top 10 is all four and three quarters. Uh, fourth, I have Lance Archer versus Will Ospreay from night one. Wow. Uh, fifth, I have John Moxley versus Tomohiro Ishii from night six, Cork and Hall. Uh, sixth, I have Ibushi versus Osprey from night five, also Cork and Hall. Seventh, I have Okada versus Sonata from Osaka, night 13. Uh, eighth, I have the finals, Ibushi versus Jay White. Ninth, I have Evil, or sorry, I have Evil versus Will Ospreay from Osaka on night 13. And then uh, wrapping up my top 10, I have Hiroki Goto versus Shingo Takagi from night 18, the B Block Finals in uh, Budokan. Sweet. Uh, okay, cool. Thank you for that, Sean. We all the same. We all the same number one, though. That's good. Yeah, I mean that was an incredible match. Um, <laughs> well, I, I will right, say, I'll just, just sorry to interrupt. I just will say quickly, as far as like my match of the year goes, uh, even though I have three five star matches in my top ten, I would still say that my number one match of the year is the Shingo Will Osprey match from Best of the Super Juniors. Uh, as as great as this G one was. I don't think anything quite matched that match for me. Although, you know, Shingo Naito, uh, Okada Osprey, and T Shingo and Ishii came pretty close. Uh, and that brings us then to the, the ranking of the wrestlers. So I just did this again, just straight up with my average star rating. I took out Folly and Yano on both sides because, um, you know, Yano, Folly especially, just drags everybody down. And it makes it way too much about who had the worst match follow I, okay well they're dragged way down so that i took out that and then i took out yano on the other side mostly just to be fair and to make it even so it's an even 18 people so again following yano not in these rankings and they're not included in the wrestler averages at all uh so let me just gonna quickly read through my list last place i have jay white with a 3.44 average uh and then 17th i have jeff cobb with 3.47 and then here's where you have like a big jump up to juice robinson at 16 with 3.69. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Goto tied at 3.72. Lance Archer next at 3.75. Taichi at 3.78. Will Ospreay at 3.84. Kenta and Sonata tied at 3.91, and we're in the top 10 now. Uh, in eighth, I have Evil at a four average. Uh, Moxley and Shingo tied for six with a 4.06. The biggest shock here to me is Moxley, who I never thought would be uh, this high. And Shingo, you know, he had a couple matches. Basically, he's dragged down by the Jay White match, which I really didn't like, which I gave two and three quarters. But, like, you know, he had an amazing tournament. Fifth place, I have Hiroshi Tanahashi at 4.09, which I didn't expect it to be that high, but he had a really quietly great tournament. Uh, fourth place, I have Okada with 4.19. Uh, just, again, a outstanding tournament for Okada, and he's been way better in tournaments this year than he has been in title matches, in my opinion. Uh, third place, Kota Ibushi, 4.28. Uh, again, just a fucking amazing tournament for Ibushi, as you'd expect. Just barely beating him out for second is Tetsuya Naito at 4.31. And then in first place, and this actually wasn't even close, Tomohiro Ishii with a 4.47 average, nearly averaging four and a half stars for me. That's so crazy. Um, the highest average star rating I've ever had since I started doing this, uh, which is about three years ago. So... Just amazing tournament for HGA. I mean, really, what else can you say about the guy at this point? Uh, Sean, why don't you give me your rankings? Okay, so just full disclosure, uh, I did not uh, take 
Yano or Fale out of my rankings. I just you know left him in there just to give a just more, I guess just just to include everyone. I guess uh, so you know predictably Fale and Yano are at the bottom. Uh, Fale I have at a two point five six in twentieth. Uh, slightly better tournament for him compared to last year, at least for me. Uh, Yano I have at obviously nineteenth at a two point eight six. Um, I guess close to what you would expect. Uh, 18th, I have Taichi at 3.44. Again, just speaks to how good this tournament was that the 18th ranked wrestler is almost at a 3.5 average. Uh, Jeff Cobb, I have at 3.61 in 17th. 16th, I have Jay White at 3.67. I thought his tournament this year was uh, a little bit better than last year. I think last year I had him sort of a 3.3, somewhere in that range. Um, but again, even, you know, he proved he's still um, near the bottom. Uh, Goto in 15th had 3.75 on the dot. Uh, Sonata in 14th had a 3.83. And this is sort of where it starts to get really close on my end. Uh, Kenta and Juice, uh, I had tied at 12th with a 3.86 though I would give the edge to Juice because he, uh, essentially what I use for the tiebreaker is who had the highest rated match. And for me, uh, Kenta, even though he, Kenta had a lot of four and a quarters for me, but he never broke four and a half, whereas Juice did with his uh, Ishii match. So I put Juice ahead of, uh, of Kenta in that spot. Uh, Lance Archer, I had 11th with 3.89. Obviously, he had a very strong tournament. Um uh, Let's see. Now getting my top 10. Evil, I had 10th at a 3.92. I think he and uh, Tanahashi, as we'll mention again in a little bit, he had, they both had very quietly strong tournaments. Uh, Mock, uh, Zack Sabre Jr., I had 9th at a 3.94. John Moxley, I had 8th at a 3.97. He's the highest guy on my list who did not... The highest person on my list who did not crack 4. Um... Tanashi in seventh with a 4.03. Again, a very quiet tournament, but he had a strong showing for sure. Uh, sixth, I have Tetsuya Naito at a 4.06. Uh, Kotobushi, I had in fifth with a 4.17. And uh, I, I, sorry if I didn't mention this already, but I did not include the, um, I did not include the block, or not the block final. I did include the actual tournament final in this average. This is just... Oh, yeah, I, I didn't either, yeah. Right, yeah, this is just, they're all, they're, uh, they're nine block matches. So, uh, again, Ibushi's at a three uh, at a 4.17, so he's in fifth. Uh, Shingo Takagi, I had at fourth at a 4.22. Uh, he had a really strong, you know, uh, back half of the tournament, mainly helped to the fact that I think all of his best opponents were uh, in the second half of the tournament. Uh, Okada, I had in third at four and a quarter on the dot. Uh, second, I have Will Ospreay at a 4.33. Uh, and then number one, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, I had at 4.5 on the dot. He did average four and a half stars for me. Uh, the only match of his that actually I did not have four and a half stars or higher was the auto match, which was, you know, that was still a very strong match for, you know, by Yano standards. Um, and yeah, no, Ishii, since I, you know, went back and did started doing these records going all the way back to 2013, uh, Tanahashi was the MVP for me in 2013 based on the averages, but every year since Ishii has either been the sole MVP 
or the co-MVP with Okada or Kodobushi. So, yeah, it's, Ishii's, you know, what else can be said? He's, he's great in this tournament every single year. Um, so Andy, unfortunately, had computer issues while we were talking, and doesn't look like he can make it back in time with his computer needing to reboot. Oh, no. So he asked me to read, he asked me to read his top five for him. Uh, so I'm just going to read off Andy's top five. He has Ishii in first, Shingo in second, Ibushi in third, Okada in fourth, and Naito in fifth. So that's Andy's top five of the tournament. He said Tanahashi and Evil right behind. So thanks for that, Andy. Sorry that your computer was very evil, but uh, what you can you do? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a shame. Um, but yeah, that, so that's that. Uh, let's talk about the questions here real quick. Um, so we did get a lot of Twitter questions, which uh, from Russell Omakase. So, uh, you know, as always, I really appreciate it if you do have questions and if you do send them in. A lot of our questions are always really good. A lot of them are also troll questions, which we always seem to get. But if you're ever wondering, how do I send in questions? That's the answer. Follow us on Twitter at Resto Omikase and ask your questions there. Okay. Beth at Love Song Writer. What did Naito do to Gato to do that, to cause this? Did Naito kill his dog? Um, I think all signs point to yes. Naito killed his dog. <laughs> he said, she also says, with everything said in the post-G1 press conference and on the night of the finals, uh, what do you see being the biggest angle that will drive through to Wrestle Kingdom? I, I think we kind of covered this already. I think they are doing the mini tournament. I think it will be set up probably around King of Pro Wrestling, and maybe there's like one big qualifier at Power Struggle to be, whether it's IC title on the line there, whether it's even who's going to get the IC title shot. I think that will be like the last big night basically before they have it cemented. Because usually they do have the the heavyweight champion and the briefcase holder cemented after King of Wrestling. They already know who they're going to be. And it's mm-hmm. IC that headlines Power Struggle. So we'll see. Uh, they can, but you know, the other thing I didn't mention too, when I'm thinking about this, um, and why this scenario makes sense to me is let's say if you are working backwards from Naito walking out of the domes with both titles, which is, you know, asking, saying a lot right now. We don't obviously don't know if that's the case. And I would still, you know, caution against too much optimism, which I don't think I have to tell Naito fans that at this point, honestly. But let's say you are working backwards from that. The one thing that I always found weird was how they were going to handle Naito having the briefcase and the IC title you know, for the rest of this, uh, you know, the rest of the year. Um, but, you know, because you, you, you want both of these things to be defended. I mean, in past years, especially with the amount of shows they're running, you want to be able to have an IC title match and you want to be able to have briefcase matches. So if you have them with two different people, in this case, Ibushi and Naito, that does solve that problem. So maybe that could be another reason why they're going the mini tournament angle is if you're going to do this two belt thing, and you're working backwards from that, you know, this way you have an IC champion that can defend their title and you have a briefcase holder that can defend his briefcase and you don't have them both on the line in the same matches, which essentially takes away one of the things you're using to draw for the rest of the year. Um, I don't know if you have anything to add on this, Sean, do you? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, like you said, I think the, the key is that, you know, uh, the IC title typically after the G1 gets defended once during the, the uh, destruction tour and then typically is the main event of power struggle. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens at King of pro wrestling with the briefcase and the heavyweight title. 
but uh, yeah, I, I guess the uh, I guess October November is when we'll like really find out if that uh, that mini tournament scenario is happening. At RBX two thousand, as a Naito fan, if New Japan somehow turns it around and Naito closes at one of the Dome shows in January as IWGP champion, would you feel the lead up was a satisfying emotional roller coaster or too convoluted to enjoy? Um, I am never going to be convinced that they shouldn't have just done Naito winning at Wrestle Kingdom 12. I know some people will argue that point forever, but at the very fucking least, once Kenny Omega left the goddamn company right after Wrestle Kingdom 13, you can no longer make the argument even that giving him the title had any real benefit. So that is the biggest issue I have now where it feels like we went through all this extra shit to string Naito fans along forever, which I don't think, you know, I'm going to be happy at the end. I mean, I'm going to be, obviously I'm going to be thrilled if Naito wins, um, you know, but will I think all this will be, have been worth it basically? Not really. I mean, I still would have felt like we went, did too much bullshit to get here. And it would, it will feel like you put us through too much shit to get there. And I think it was in service of, you know, the Okada record stuff. I could fine. I can hear an argument for why that's important. Omega gained the title. I will not hear an argument for why that's important at this point because the man left your company the day after he lost the title. You're not even getting any benefit from him being a former champion, which is the entire fucking point of putting a title on somebody is you're going to not, I guess not the entire point, but one of the points of putting a title on somebody is being able to use them as a former champion for the rest of their run in the company. You don't have that with him anymore. You, he took that, he, he took his quality, you know, his star quality, his prestige of being an IWGP champion. He took that to AEW. So that's out the window. So no, I don't think it, it was worth it. And I still would just have Naito win at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Um, the next question, Neil David, what's the future for LIJ as a unit? Largely the same, at least until Hiromu comes back, or do you predict a breakaway for Sonata post-tag league? I think they're going to stay the same. I don't think Sonata will break away. I think people expecting to break away are misunderstanding LIJ as a unit. They're not heels, and he doesn't need... Like, people, I see people say, oh, Sonata's going to turn, leave LIJ and turn face. Like, the fucker gets cheered more than half the goddamn roster. He doesn't need to break away and turn face. I mean, LIJ... You know, they're basically true neutrals, and that means you can always present Sonata as a babyface anytime you want. I mean, it's not like he does anything particularly heelish. He doesn't need to leave LIJ to be a to be a babyface. I think they're gonna stick I think they're gonna keep it the way it is. I don't know. Do you do you disagree with me on this, Sean? Um I guess as far as the you know, I I, I was thinking about this because I figured, you know, after Shingo beat Ishii in the G1. It seemed like they were setting up, you know, obviously Shingo and Ishii again for the Never title. But the fact that, you know, Kent is getting the first shot and seems like a likely pick to win sort of makes the question where they're sort of going with that in terms of Shingo, since the, you know, the, the Never uh, division seems like the best fit for him at the moment, at, right after his, you know, full transition into, into the uh, heavyweight division. Um I guess as far as the tag team stuff goes, I actually would not mind if they, you know, because obviously LIJ will probably have an entry or two in the in the tag league this year. Um, I would not mind if the 
I guess for now, the heavyweight tag team for LIJ became uh, uh, Shingo and Evil. I just think that those two would mesh really well together as a team. And then maybe you could have, not obviously not split Sonata off from LIJ, but maybe just have Sonata be more of a focused singles competitor. But again, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where they're going with Shingo just yet, just because, you know, my thinking was never title and the Kenta thing sort of uh, threw that plan into question, especially if he does win the title. Uh, the next question from uh, yesterday dances. How do you feel, guys feel about Ibushi taking Naito's dream and getting both belts? Wouldn't be thrilled if that's what happens, but uh, it just would feel a little cruel. At A-V-E-N-J-A-1, serious question, how would you – oh, because he said – first of all, he said, who had the better return, Shibata or Sasha Banks? Ha-ha, we already kind of covered that. Uh, serious question, how would, you, how would you do Hiromu's return, and do you think the reception can rival that of Shibata's at the G1? Um, see, I don't think it will quite be at that level because I think – I mean, how would I do it? I think he's going to return in the big match. Maybe they're going to wait all the way to the Dome. And, you know, or if not, maybe King of Four Wrestling. So you're going to expect him to come out. So it's going to lack that surprise factor. And he's missed a year, which is not the same thing as missing, you know, two and a half and nearly dying. So I don't think the reception will be quite at that level. But I'm sure it'll be fucking fantastic. And I would have him return. And I mean, he said he wanted to do it. I would have him return against Liger uh, at King of Four Wrestling. That's what I would do. Um... I, it's sort of interesting. I guess it would depend on what their plans are for the Dome at the moment. Uh, I Personally, I think an idea that wouldn't be too bad would be to uh, save his... And this might... I don't know how you feel about this job, but I would... I guess one idea I would have is maybe save it for um, either either the Dome, if Naito... If, something happens with Naito and he ends up winning both titles and he, you know, comes out at the end as a surprise uh, to celebrate with the rest of LIJ or he comes, he shows up at, uh, if they, if they are still doing a new year's dash, show, have him show up in new year's dash and then save his like official, like big return for the uh, new beginning show in Osaka Joe hall, because that's a building that, you know, you're, if we're going to have to fill for, you know, what's essentially a, a sort of a B-level uh, New Japan big show. So uh, I, I, I guess there's a bunch of different ways you can go, but I think that would be a good one too, especially if you need something big to fill Osaka Joe Hall for New Beginning. Uh, and then at Gwee Yeager, um, what's your dream scenario for Shingo at Wrestle Kingdom? Um I don't know. I would have said Kenta originally, but now it looks like Kenta will be busy. So right now, hmm, that's a good question because so many people are either occupied or I think I think or hope will be occupied. Um, I mean, if Naito is not going to be in any kind of mix at all for the heavyweight title, you know, I guess the next best thing will be another Naito Shingo match since that was so incredible. But I can't call that my dream scenario when it's not my dream scenario for Naito. Um, Maybe Shingo, maybe Shingo Osprey again. I mean, if Osprey's going to graduate to heavyweight, maybe Shingo gets his win back. I, I think that's probably Ed, actually. So, I I think that obviously you, they will have more options this year since there are two dome shows. 
So I feel like every, unlike previous years, I think like every sort of key player, or every sort of, even sort of, uh, I guess, a, a, not a, not mid-level player is not the right word, but sort of a, every significant player is going to have a better opportunity for a match on the actual Tokyo Dome card. Like, I don't think there's going to be anybody, you know, important left. And, and by important, I mean, like, going, like, sort of, I guess I'm not, not, I'm not sure how I say this, but, like, unless your name's, like, you know, if it belongs to someone like Togi Makabe or something like that, you're, you're not going to, like, Minoru Suzuki isn't going to get left, left without a match on the, on the uh, Dome shows, I don't think, since they have two cards. Um, so, the, you know, and that's the beauty of having two shows is that you have more opportunities to give people a spot. Whereas, you know, as we know, with this past Tokyo Dome, you had so many uh, relatively big names like stuffed in the pre-show. Uh, his other question was, can Jay White and Kenta being the two people with the most hatred in New Japan signify a return to actual relevance for Bullet Club? I think it can. Um, the problem I have with the Bullet Club basically is it just has so many fucking loads in it. And, you know, it just has a core. Like the core guys, like Girls of Destiny, they're at best, they're like fine. I'm, I'm never going to care about them. Uh, Bad Luck Folly is obviously terrible. Uh, Eugerio is like okay. Chase is Chase can be good, but he's mostly just a fall guy. Um, I'm not in love with El Fantasmo either. So you're talking like basically Jay White and Taiji are the only two people in that group I find that interesting. Um, but I do think I mean El Fantasmo does have good heat and like he'll work. So maybe he w- does fit into like a new core, even though better than I'm giving credit for. And now obviously Kenta coming in gives you a guy that can that can go which you know he still can go to a much higher level than bad luck folly i doubt anyone will disagree with that <laughs> and you know it gives you another guy like he's like he's saying it's very hated so yeah it does feel like this is going to help bullet club a lot and that's why i saw some people basically say they were disappointed in join suzuki goon but suzuki goon does not need any fucking help i mean if you're going to talk about the two heel units who needs the injection of talent I mean, the answer is Bullet Club. I mean, Suzuki-kun has yeah. Minoru Suzuki. They have Zack Sabre Jr. They have Taichi, who just broke out in a big way in this tournament, even to people who weren't already on the Taichi bandwagon. Uh, they have Desperado coming back as, for the junior division soon. He's great. I mean, they, they just have so Lance much. Lance Archer. Lance Archer. I, I, I'm sorry, I forgot. But <laughs> Lance Archer. I mean, they just have a lot more there to work with already. They don't need Kenta. Whereas the Bullet Club, I mean, before this, was you're talking a few guys that really bring anything to the table at this point. So I just think that was such a, a really important addition to the group. And it kind of fits in with the theme like of, you know, a guy goes to America and then suddenly he joins Bullet Club. It works. I yeah. don't know. It's like how anyone who came from the WWF would always join the NWO. It's the same thing. Like anyone who comes from America. Like Ishimori goes to TNA for like half a second and he has to join Bullet Club. Um at Lior Papsmadoff. Um, if you could put the IWGV title on Nitro anywhere but the Dome, where would you do it? Definitely Osaka. I mean, to me, that's not even close. Like Dominion, that'd be perfect. Yeah, and, and we sort of were having this discussion, actually sort of sort of uh, uh, got this one rolling on the Slack. Maybe it could be in the... Maybe uh, Dominion next year might not be in Osaka, Joe Hall. Maybe it'll be in... Uh, bigger building given that uh, new Japan seemingly gets more aggressive with the buildings they run every single year. 
maybe it'll be at another uh, another dome show outside of January. You never know. New, New, uh, New Japan has balls when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, at Hannah Yolo, uh, of course, last week's guest says, "Say you're New Japan and you're determined to keep." Switchblade as the top guy, despite such an embarrassing tournament. What's the most important change to make from his current booking? Why don't you go first on this one, Sean? What do you? What would you do? What would I change about him? Um, honestly, I'm. I'm not. I mean, you, you would probably change a lot more than I would. Um, I'm honestly not sure. It's just because I think he's doing a really good job in this role as a heel. Right now, uh, I think the only change that's going to happen at any point is, I th- and I think Joe Lanza has alluded to this a couple of times, is if and when uh, they decide to turn JY Babyface. Uh, but I don't know if that's ha- that's uh, that's definitely obviously not happening in the near future. That's probably uh, a couple of years down the line, and I think until then you're going to see. Jay White in this role as the uh, as the one of the big kills in the company. I honestly, I may I obviously you would maybe want to try to limit the interference of Gato or just get rid of it entirely, um, and may, maybe make Gato more just more like the Okada or like he was with Okada, where he was always out there but didn't interfere. Uh, yeah, I, I, aside from that, maybe I can't see much that I would change, but I'm sure you would have a little bit Get of a different opinion. Square dancing. That's what I would say. Stop <laughs> square dancing at the end of your matches. At Kenobi193, given we know now, we now know that Bushi was always going to win G1, do you think it would have been better or worse for NATO to beat Jay but lose to Bushi? We kind of covered this already. It would have been worse. Yeah. So, uh, at Dylan Zero Sky, Dylan Fox from the uh, Oh, God, I wish I could name his podcast. Uh, Eastern Larry. I'm sorry, Dylan. I was about to say, like, Golden Larry. And, like, I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't sound right. Could Maki Ito beat up Jay White in real life? Uh, I'm, like, 110% sure she could. So, great question, Dylan. Thank you. Uh, Lucas at Tokugawa Heavy. Do you see Osprey becoming a key part of New Japan International growth going forward? Um, yes, I think that's pretty clear to me. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's just uh, right now. It's just a situation where they are uh, slow burning it since he's a junior. Um, but obviously, this G, him being in the G one, him getting a win over Tom, Tanahashi, and then obviously him participating in three and now with the the, the J Cup and in, in four tournaments in the same year, obviously is playing a key part in his uh, his, his elevation. And I'm sure it won't be long before he's, you know, uh, contending for stuff like the IC title and eventually down the line, the heavyweight title. Um, he also says, do you think we'll actually get the IWGP for IC title match at Wrestle Kingdom? Or do you think the evil Gato is just stringing fans along? Um, I think we will. He could just be stringing fans along, but you know what? I think it's. I do think it's going to happen. I see people again to go back to the Nitro fan thing. People think we don't. We like enjoy being wrong or like don't. I don't know. This is like some people think are like why bother having hope. I mean, I enjoy having hope. I don't want 
to be hopeless. I want to have even like a little sliver of hope on Naito. And there was also beyond the people who were like yelling about how Naito fans are the entitled babies or whatever. You also have the people like, well, just stop watching new Japan or which that to me is such fucking, that might be even dumber because it's like, yes, I think the man Tetsuya Naito is the best wrestler in the world and he wrestles for new Japan. So why would I stop watching exactly? Like what exactly? Because Naito gets fucked over by the booking, I should stop watching New Japan. Like why am I punishing myself to not be able to watch Naito do what I now what I think is he's better at than any other wrestler on earth? Because Gato doesn't book him to be champion. That doesn't make any fucking sense. So just stop watching people. I don't really get that. Um, I actually, I actually did see someone. Uh... I guess one upset Naito fan tweet that uh, Naito should jump to AEW, which yeah, I, I, don't I doubt think he would go. I doubt things are going for him there, guys. Yeah, I uh, probably not a good idea. Um, I, you know, I saw a lot of people joke they should jump to WWE. I'm like, oh yeah, uh, the, the famous <laughs> company that definitely knows how to book people correctly always uses people to their full talent. Um, but yes, I think it's going to happen. To answer the question. Uh, and finally, at T. Holzerman, how strong is the case for Ishii Taichi as Tormund's best match? Uh, I have it 10th, so I guess I don't think the case is that strong, but boy, am I not going to kill you if you have it as best match, because I fucking loved it. It's just this happened to be one of the best tournaments of all time, so maybe the best tournament of all time. I know people get really mad at Dave Meltzer when he says that, but, like, I don't know. It's up there for me. I mean, like, 20... 20- 2015 is probably the only one I get in 2013. We're both really, 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 really good. Um, so I would put those two in the running too. And I'm sure there's probably ones I haven't even watched. And, uh, you know, and people, people always miss this too. You can't call champion carnivals the best tournament of all time because we, I don't think we've ever, like, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about the peak era. We didn't see them. I mean, we, they, this, they did not tape every fucking show. You know, we saw maybe, uh, highlights of them for the most part for a lot of matches. I mean, of course they were amazing champion carnival matches and amazing champion carnival finals, but you were not watching uh, Kamala two, you know, like you didn't get Kamala <laughs> two's fucking, fucking champion carnival matches. So it's not like you could compare the tournaments as a whole. So there may have been some better champion carnivals, but we're never going to know because we just never get, got to see these tournaments, you know, every match. I mean, we didn't even get to see every single match of the G1 until as far as the longer ones until what, like 2013 was the first year. I think they started actually doing like having them all on Ustream. Um, you know, and, and these tournaments used to be much shorter. If people don't know, like the G1 before, you know, 20, if, if you go look at like the Wikipedia page for the G1, I mean, like, the, the ones in the 90s, I mean, some of them were like single elimination tournaments. Uh, some of them were like, you know, even the ones that were around Robin, you know, it's like, let me, I'm going to give you throw a random example. The 1996 G1 Climax was held from August 2nd to August 6th. It was five fucking days. It was a round Robin tournament featuring two blocks of five. So you're talking about a very different tournament from what we get now. And even, you know, the, the, the mega tournaments did not really start until... Uh, you know, by the time you get to 2004, you've got 16 people, so two blocks of eight. Um, you know, you get to, it looks like the first year where they get to, let me see. Wow, for, it goes down for a while, because back then I like 14. Um, yeah, the first year really explodes, it's 2011, it looks like. That was the one with uh, with two blocks of, it looks like two blocks of 10. 
Yeah, so two blocks of ten. So that was, but that was when they didn't do the split show. So they're still much shorter. But yeah, um, so like the mo- we really don't have like when people say you know this is the best tournament ever, it, there's not as much to compare it to as you probably think there is in your head, as far as a tournament this long and actually getting to see all of it. So I guess that's my only point. But it was it's up there with like 2015 and 2013. Yeah, and I, and I I do remember when I first started watching New Japan through the G1, you know. 2013 was my first one and that was like in like 10 days or whatever it was uh it was a very short yeah. time frame um i guess as far as this tournament goes i personally i think it's the best g1 out of the ones that i've seen uh just based on my star ratings and you know the overall the fact that there was not a lot of like lot a lot of like bad stuff in it um and then i i guess just to go back to naito very briefly uh I can sort of re- relate to what you're, you sort of what you're feeling, John. Even though this is a a totally different sort of world because you know sports is not predetermined, obviously. But uh, you know, I for for many years, I along with a lot of friends and family, just experienced uh, so much you know heartbreak, getting punched in the gut every year, seemingly being a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. How uh, they get seemingly so close every year. I think there was one point when I was, you know, I think around like nine or 10 where they made, uh, so I think they made the NFC championship game like four years in a row and they were much like Naito, ironically enough. And they, I think they only made a Super Bowl once and they ended up losing that year. But you know, when that, when that big one finally did come, it was, uh, such a, uh, a, an incredible experience. So, uh, just for for all the Naito fans in there, just 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 keep uh, just keep hoping, and I'm I'm sure something you know a, a positive moment will come soon. Uh, you know, again, sports not the best correlation because it is not predetermined, uh, like for wrestling. But I, I I think the struggles that you know diehard fans of a certain wrestler go through are very much similar to the ones that uh, sports or fans of sports teams go through, especially ones that uh, were in long championship slumps. All right. So, I mean, I agree. It feels a lot like pre-2012 LA Kings fandom sometimes. And I have people heard people say, well, maybe Naito fans just like pain. And, you know, maybe <laughs> never know. I picked the Kings to be my team when they fucking sucked. I mean, they really fucking sucked. Like, they were awful. So... You know, if people don't know hockey, I mean, like, before the Kings won in 2012, they were, like, a, pretty much a joke of, of a franchise. You know, they couldn't win a Stanley Cup with Wayne Gretzky, which is pretty much pretty <laughs> telling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, you know, so maybe I do like rooting for people who are – what it's more like, you know, in all seriousness is, you know, I'm sure Naito attracts people who would rather root for the underdogs. And just, like – you know, if you're going to cheer for, if you're going to become a baseball fan and you live in fucking, you're not doing it based on geography. If you're going to, if you're somebody that wants to cheer for the front runner and wants to support somebody who's going to make you happy most of the time, obviously you're going to be a Yankee fan or a Red Sox fan. Um, if you're somebody who wants to pick an underdog that you hope can get there sometimes, you'll pick the Cincinnati Reds or something. If, you know, if you're getting in New Japan and you just want to pick a guy who's going to win all the time and make you happy, you're going to be an Okada fan. And if you want to be a fan of somebody who maybe, you know, isn't going to make you happy all the time, but you're going to, you know, you're going to stick in there with and hope 
eventually you might get one big moment of happiness. You're probably going to pick the Naito. And I'm sure there is like a, a certain personality trait that makes you more likely to do that. But we talked a lot about this and we got to wrap things up. So Sean, give me some plugs. What do you want to plug? All right. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at SACDOR2994. Um, where you can find my tweets about wrestling and a, and a uh, assortment of other things. Um, you can follow my work at Voices of Wrestling. Um, we obviously just finished uh, SummerSlam weekend in Toronto, and I did a review of the Ring of Honor show that took place that weekend. So if you want to go check that out, you can do so. Um, I know the news of you know Fighting Spirit magazine coming to an end has been out for some time now. I think the... Uh, the last issue is yet to come out. Uh, I'm guessing it's coming out at the end of the month. And I do have some pieces on that issue. I believe I did for uh, Fight for the Fallen and the Evolve uh, 10th anniversary show. So whenever that comes out, uh, you can look out for that. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. All right, and I want to plug for Andy since he ended up getting removed from the show by his computer. You can follow Andy at Trilly Robinson. Uh, of course, it will be in the profile if you don't know how to spell that or anything. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmakase. As always, wrestling does not fit. Uh, we'll be back. We're a little bit of a weird schedule here since we did a midweek episode. We're not going to do one this weekend, but the following weekend we're going to come back and we're finally going to talk about something other than New Japan. Uh, which is good because I need I need a break from talking and watching, <laughs> talking about <laughs> and watching New Japan. As great as that G1 was, it's good to do something else. So next week, uh, I'm going to be joined by my old pal Taylor, uh, longtime returning guest. As Taylor and I are going to talk about DDT. Uh, they have a big cork coming up that weekend. We're going to talk about Dragon Gate, which hasn't been talked about in this podcast in a long time. They have their big old award show in Tokyo. And hopefully we're going to talk a little stardom too. Um, the first two nights of the five-star Grand Prix will have happened. It always seems kind of random to me when they put up their matches sometimes. So as I've tried to put them in before, and the timing doesn't quite work for the matches going up. But hopefully we'll be able to talk about all the, the opening matches of the five-star Grand Prix, or at least some of them. So that'll be our next episode. Until then, folks, thank you, as always, for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>